Social distancing at Topper Stadium and Dog Track. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery. Very good to have you with us for another journey through the bizarre history of our beautiful game, Rugby League. Uh, and today, we are looking at a truly bizarre event. This is about as weird as it gets, I think, as far as big Rugby League events. It's the 1997 World Club Challenge Final, the Brisbane Broncos 36, the Hunter Mariners 12, on the 17th of October, 1997. Where, I hear you ask, where was this enormous match played? the world final for Club Rugby League as far as Super League goes, between a side based in Brisbane and a side based in Newcastle. Where was it played? Ericsson Stadium in Auckland, uh, in front of a swelling crowd of 10,300. Uh, and I've got some fairly serious question marks about whether there were that many there. Uh, Gazzy, th- th- this is all very strange, isn't it? You know, being from Newcastle, the Hunter Mariners occupy a very odd place in the history of rugby league and just all of this, the fact that it's in Auckland, the t- the two sides, um, the fact that it is supposedly the world final, it's just really, it just doesn't feel real. No, you've said before that it doesn't feel uh, when we watched the, the, their origin, super league origin, if you like the tri series that didn't, didn't feel like Canon didn't feel yeah. like the, the original text. And look, that's very much the case again here. There's some stuff we'll get to as we go along, but you know, uh, whether it's the fact that it's the Hunter Mariners, whether the fact that it's in Auckland, whether that's the fact that, you know, you're running around watching um, Nick Zisti playing against Wendell Saylor. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite right, does it? And it's—it's. Oh. It's, it, it, I'm sure we'll get into this, but for some indescribable no reason, it doesn't even feel the same as Illawarra playing, you know, the Chargers in a semi-final. Even though the football is certainly no worse and arguably probably better than that game, the football played is better than that game. But for some reason, isn't there's just it doesn't. It's not. Right. It's not, what is this game? What does this I, mean? What, what's the point of this, you know? You know, I, I love rugby league sort of more than sort of most, sort of almost anyone who's ever been born. And I got really bored watching this after about 10 minutes. I was like, why am I watching this? This is trash. This is mean. This is just, like, it's just fairy floss nonsense. Um, for that exact reason. But, because you're right. But it's not worse as a game, is it? No, no. No, the football, there's yeah. much better footballers out there for one thing. The standard is, is as good, if not better, um, mm. than, than what we watched last week from the same season, 97. We watched uh, the, mm. the, the Chargers and the Steelers. And, but it feels like it's part of the timeline of rugby league, that game. Mm. Even though it's the Chargers and the Steelers and it's this bizarre final series and all this, that, mm. that feels like part of a coherent history of the game. This just feels like this odd thing that happened in a parallel universe. And I think I use that term about the Tri-Series mm. final, it, the, the, the things that happen in this match 
it doesn't feel like they influence the way that any footballer is remembered. It doesn't feel like an achievement that anybody really recognises or claims as a great achievement. Um, and it just, it feels that way when you watch it. And I know it's hindsight and all this, but like even the fact that it's, a, it's supposed to be, this is supposed to be the world club final. The, and, and the commentators are people that I've never heard of, like that I've never seen commentate anything. What Warren Boland is the main commentator. He used to call Cowboys games on the ABC, but like mm. he's the lead commentator on this match. And then you've got like kind of Brent Todd and Peter Mulholland in the commentary box. It's just very like, it doesn't, I don't know. There's no spectacle about it. There's no occasion about it. It just feels like it. I, I just kind of kept going, what is this? And why was this played? Well, it's interesting you say that because when you talk about it's not part of the story of why anyone's good or why this happened. Very interesting. You know, Brett Kamali is one of sort of the great halfbacks of his era, like an outstanding player who's got a wonderful career and is rightly spoken about quite regularly as one of the great halfbacks of his time. Have you ever heard anyone talk about the story about how in his first proper season of first grade, he led... Mm the Mariners through the World Club Challenge all the way to the final to take on the might of the Broncos is plays a role in engineering a big comeback, you know, during the game and forces his way into the Australian side, having Ooh. not been the first choice halfback at the start of the year. In fact, the halfback in front of him played for New South Wales and Brett Kamali is so good that he leads this team through all the way to the final of this major tournament and plays for Australia. Can I put it to you that if, in any other season, if you put that story in context of the Brett Kamali bursting onto the scene, leading a team into a final against the Broncos and then playing for Australia, one of the great stories like that no one yeah. would forget. I remember his debut. I know he played first grade before intermittently, but he would have been rookie of the year eligible. He had barely played any first grade. So, you know, if this happens to someone today, this season, oh, one of the great rookie seasons, we're having a Tim Smith chat, like our pod on Tim Smith's debut yeah, yeah. season. And, you know, talking about Daly Cherry Evans's debut season, went through to the grand final, all these sorts of things. Like this would be up there, right? Like that's, that's objectively forgetting that we don't talk about it. This is as good. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good example. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's a great example um, that, that he, you know, this is, in any other time would be considered a really big achievement and probably nobody knows that he, that this even happened. I, um, when we, we put up a, a post through the week saying, what do you remember about the Hunter Mariners? And people kind of go, Oh yeah, didn't, weren't they in the club challenge final? Mm, but it's not, yeah. but that would be, but that'd be like saying, what do you remember about Scott Sattler? Oh, didn't he make a tackle once in a grief? You know, like, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? What do you remember yeah. about Darren Albert? Oh, they, I think he scored a try in a game one, you know, like, yeah. That, yeah. It's just not the same. It's nowhere near the same scale. Um, mm. it, the Mariners, are, I, we've, we both, of course, you know, were, were around when, this, when all this was going on and the Mariners mm. had a very funny place in Newcastle history for people who aren't that familiar. I mean, the, the Super League story is pretty well known about any, by anyone who's listening to this podcast, but, you know, the Knights kind of danced with Super League for a while and came very close to signing with them. And I think the players in the end, more than anything else, took them away and, deci and decided to stick solid with the ARL. Uh, Rebo has said basically that um, he, he put a team in Newcastle just to, to stick it to the ARL and to stick it to Newcastle. He said um, that Newcastle was the biggest, his biggest regret. Uh, he said, had mm. we got Newcastle, the battle would not have gone on for two years. It would have been over in a few weeks, which is a fairly big comment. Uh, and he also mm. said, the Hunter was put there strategically to show the Newcastle Knights we were not going to go away. Um, and that 
So that's the kind of history of how that came about. They basically thought, well, we need to have 10 teams. Newcastle's a big area for rugby league. We'll stick the side there and show, show them that we haven't given up and blah, blah, blah. Um, there's, but, but they became pariahs in Newcastle. They, they were, from people who were a bit older than us at the time, talk about how they were loathed. People who, like lifelong friends, fell out because someone who worked for the Knights went and worked for the Mariners or went and played for the Mariners and people put rocks through the windows of the, their, of their offices down in, in Lampton and all of this, that they, they were hated. Oh, there was a lady in Belmont who started the Friends for the ARL campaign that started business boycotts where if you sponsored the Mariners, she had lobby groups and, and ad, advocate groups around the Newcastle area, like actually, um, boycotting those businesses and sort of like shaming those businesses and getting rid of that sort of thing that she fought to have them not have a ground to play at where people were bullying them out of all the sports grounds to the point that they had to play at the dog track. Um, Incredible. I, I spoke, uh, I bought a, um, a Mariners track suit a while ago. It's absolute ripper. I'll put it That's on the page this week, actually. It's a, yeah, I'll put it on this week for the Jersey of the week, but I got this off a bloke who's you know, about t- oh, 10, 20 years older than me. And when he was telling me that he wore it um, to a game, a Knights game in like 97, 98. And yeah. this lady spat on him, like an old lady, like an 80 <laughs> year old lady. Like he went to Marathon Stadium and this lady spat, like an old grandma spat on him. Hopefully not it's my incredible. grandma. Um, well, spat, not really at all. Spat out. on him. Um, yeah, she's an ardent Knights fan. But um, that's right. This, this was, I think this is Super League's big mistake. Now, not getting Newcastle might be their big regret, but thinking you were going to put something in it against the Knights in Newcastle is just one of the dumbest ideas anyone has ever had. Um, Newcastle people, like, are so... They weren't ARL loyal. They're just Knights mad. I've spoken before in the 90s that these sorts of people go in there with these sorts of people that are, like, you know, if you sort of negged on Joey, they'd be punching on with you, wearing your teeth as a necklace, standing on the hills, smashing bottles. Like, they're mad people. And if the Knights had gone to Super League, they would have gone all in. The Knights went with the ARL, they were all in. This is like this in the 90s, this Newcastle Knights town. The Chief was on the morning radio with Waitie and the Chief doing the morning show. Mark Glamble was reading the news on, you know, NBN. Um, Mark Sargent's on the radio at lunchtime. Like, this is like Newcastle Knights territory. It would, they drank and ate Newcastle Knights even more than they do now. And the idea that you're going to like some. Much more than they do now, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, some fancy bloke in a suit and these Murdoch people were going to come in and put a team there. Now, if we had gone there, they would have accepted Murdoch. No questions asked. It would be pro Super League like anything else. But you think that once we didn't, that you're going to get Murdoch's going to spread and put this fancy new team in a Newcastle yeah. and play them against the Knights and people are going to go and watch it. Uh, you are absolutely dreaming <laughs> that yeah, was going to work. Ever. That's right. Um, and they just... They never, um, their highest crowd that they ever got mm. was about 7,000 um, to a game, uh, which is... which v Canberra, was it? Uh, yeah, they got, they got seven yeah. and a half to watch the Warriors in April, 20, in mm. April and then they got another seven and a half to watch the Raiders and the Broncos mm. in, in May and June, mm. yeah. Um, so you got a lot of people who might have wanted to watch Laurie Daly and Alan Langer come into the dog park. Yeah, I suspect Not that's Mariners. right. It, it's it, it, you just can't emphasise it enough, can you? That the 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 loathing that people had, and and I can tell you, and like this is, this, I swear this is not a lie. If you talk about them to this day, it bristles hostility of people that are a bit older than us. There are people now that yeah. if you bring up the Hunter Mariners, people go fuck the Mariners. You get people. I I've 
posted Mariners jerseys on my Instagram page for jerseys and people, but Knights fans write to me going, bro, like you can't do that. What are you doing? Like, you know what it is? It's like, like it was 20 something years ago and they never played against the Knights or did anything to the Knights. Like they've never. And they never competed with them in any meaningful way. Like it's not as if they were never a threat. They just. No, no, but it's just, it, it, even today, it is a dead set taboo topic amongst a lot of people. Mate, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a friend of mine who's um, a fair bit older than us and was around during that time and, and was, you know, felt very strongly about it. I, I've brought up mm. Super League a couple of times with him mm. and it is like you're talking about the troubles. Like it's, mm. it's like talking about the, the Mariners, like talking about the IRA or something like it, it is people yeah. like he kind of tenses up at the mention of yeah. it. Um, and yeah. he just kind of looks, he, he sort of look at you and go, Oh, that's very, that was, that was very controversial that that was, you know, and he tells a story um, because the, the uh, news limited had the idea when they decided to set a team up in Newcastle, that wasn't the Knights. They gave the license to the Western suburbs leagues club, which is, mm the big leagues club in Newcastle, which now, of course, ironically owns the Knights um, mm. as of a couple of years ago. But anyway, they decided that Wests would run the club and Wests accepted the deal. Mm. Anyway, 5,000 people signed a petition. 5,000 members of the West Leagues Club signed a petition uh, opposing mm. the, 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 the mm. running of the Mariners. And so mm. what happened, and, and I've been told this story by someone who was there, the West Leagues Club decided to hold an extraordinary general meeting of members to, to stage a vote on whether to do whether to go in and make the deal and take the Mariners' license. And so they hold the meeting at the Leagues Club, of course, and so many people, like thousands of people turn up. Of course, West's a victim of the runs. He says that they're the biggest Leagues Club in Newcastle. Every man and his dog's a member, so they can get in on a Friday night and get the $10 schnitzel. So... Mm that hundreds and that like thousands of people turn up to this meeting. They can't fit them all in the auditorium. So what they do is they march them all across the road. They say, no, well, we're going to, we can't have the meeting here. We're going to reconvene across the road at Harker Oval, which is the, where the West Suburbs Rosellas play in the Newcastle Rugby League. So all the people come schlep out of the leagues club across the road to Harker Oval. And they say, right, like the bloke gets on the microphone. And he says, what we're going to do is Anybody who wants to vote yes to accept West Leagues, sit in the uh, to accept the Mariners' license, sit in the grandstand. Everybody who wants to vote no, come down onto the oval. And so, the way it's been described to me is there is a stampede of people like like this, that scene in the Lion King, right? Of people stamping down the stairs of the old <laughs> rickety grandstand at Harker Oval to go and stand on the on the field, and it becomes clear very quickly that the the no vote has completely wiped the yes vote off the face of the earth. There's about fifteen poor souls sitting in the grandstand <laughs> voting yes to accept the Mariners. But apparently, once this happened, there was jubilation. People hugged and the people cried on the field at Harker Oval. Because they'd killed off, because they'd like robbed the Mariners of this big opportunity to be run by a really popular, successful leagues club, and they thought they'd killed the Mariners off. That's how intensely people felt about it. That they turned up in those numbers to that meeting, and that when they realised they'd won, they people like hugged and embraced and burst into tears. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time, isn't it? It's a stunning story. That I'd like to know how many times the uh, leagues club, any leagues club in the world, has had a general meeting. That is um, 
not fitted in an auditorium. Because <laughs> usually there's, there's sort of like the, you know, maybe a hundred like really like old blokes that you sort of really try to avoid that would show up with a lot of questions. And that's about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> these things, like, um, you know, you know, it's, um, you know, like council meetings or state meetings, like these sorts of things, you sort of know what type of people might show up and they don't usually over cater that's <laughs> not usually the problem but, but you wouldn't get um, that many people yeah. you, you wouldn't necessarily no. people don't get that engaged and uh no. in, in ex- excited about no. about polit like about politics you, you wouldn't like if no. people don't turn no. political get on the oval to vote for john howard no 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 get on the oval to vote for howard no one would be hugging and cheering like people and, turn up on election yeah. day and yeah. go oh man i'm just getting my name marked off i'm just here because you to, to, so i don't have to pay the fine yeah, like people too in the middle of winter come out and you know stand on some freezing cold oval to vote no to the Mariners. It's a it's an interesting thing. It's not something I've got a heap on to go into detail with, but it, it, I suppose it's um, part of the story. I don't think you can look past at that time what was going on in the area. So that, look, that was a time when when the steelworks were shutting with with BHP um, was going down, and and when Super League came along in this way, I think whilst taking on the Knights was probably 75, 80% bristled people up. What you also had was um, BHP was the employing, it was the biggest employer in the town. If your family wasn't employed by a BHP, you know, your uncle or your best mate's dad was or whatever, everyone worked there. My old man worked there. Most people sort of, everyone has a relative or two working at BHP. Um, it was the entire economy and it sort of shut and was in the process of shutting. So you got these redundancy, you got these people losing their jobs every left, right and center. And at the same time, it felt like rugby league was under attack. Like in Newcastle, yeah. the super league came in and all of a sudden this shiny new thing tried to nick the Knights. Then when they couldn't nick the Knights, it was like, well, you play rugby league. That's your game. We're going to put a new team in there in a better comp and we're going to have this and we're going to take that away from you. And it was it's almost like this sort of attack on working class yeah and it's suits who mm. make the decision to shut the steelworks down and then it's suits who come yeah. along and put this team in and who come after the knights and all this yeah absolutely yeah, yeah big big end of town coming after going we're going to you, you we don't want your knights are done we're going to put this new thing in newcastle that plays football and it's better than yours and that's what you're going to get and it i think it, it it's not the whole picture that you know this would always have been big but it just i think it just played into this sense that the working class people in newcastle were under attack and mm. what they their way of life they work at php and go to the footy and all this stuff was that you can't have that anymore. That's not how it's going to work. And we're going to take it from you. And I think that definitely, I don't think it caused the problem, but I think it played into the level of hostility and the level of emotion that came into it. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I, I think that's a, a very good point. Um, they, they also, as you say, um, they weren't allowed to play in the stadium. The Knights had a lease over the ground, over Mar- Marathon Stadium as it was, and, uh, and as it should still be, mind you. Uh, mm-hmm. and they had a lease, I think, from the state government, and the Mariners tried to claim that because it was a public venue that they should, anyone should be able to play there, and they ended up going to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said they didn't have any right to use the stadium. The Knights mm-hmm. had the right to deny them, so they ended up playing at uh, the Gardens, uh, Birmingham mm-hmm. Gardens, known for that season as Topper Stadium. Um, as you very accurately pointed out, it, it, it literally is a greyhound racing track, Mm. Um, with a with a field in the middle, 
I mean, I just we never got to see Alan Langer play there, isn't it? Like Alan Langer and Ricky Stewart and Laurie Daly playing at the. It's a. That would have been an event to be at watching him run inside the dog track, confirming and playing against like, the existing. Yeah, <laughs> and I've been out there. I've been to the dogs out there, and mm. th- like it's a very good dog track. It's perfectly, but they spent a million mm. bucks upgrading it so that the Mariners could play there. Mm. But if that's what it looked like after the million bucks, you know, mm. <laughs> like it mm. it's not a. Rit- this is not. No. It's very funny that Super League of all things ended up there because having promised mm. all this glitz and glamour and all this kind of money and big stadiums and big crowds, they kind of ended up playing it like a dog track with. Yeah. Sharing the ground with the Newcastle breakers and stuff like that's yeah. the level. Like the breakers were out there. Then the sort of failed NSL club in soccer. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you mentioned the Supreme court, can I just say if there was any time in history now, now you and I are both of course, legally, legally qualified. Yes. God, if there was a time in history where it would have been much more enjoyable to be in our profession, can I say the time in the world when the Supreme Court was just swathed with rugby league cases? Was oh, the time yeah. To be alive? This was like, it, wasn't it? Yeah, getting in there to ask about Rod Silver's a rep career and about the Mariners' rights to stadiums. It's just this is the time to be alive, isn't it? For, for five years here, the, the, the legal world shone up and actually became interesting and it all died off again. You know, there's the Terry Hill uh, challenge to the draft, then there's the Super League, and it all died off until the challenge to Sonny Bill going to France with people trying yes. to serve him the documents. And there's been yes. nothing else since of much no this was the time wasn't it absolutely you're absolutely right there it was rugby um, league in the high court it's this was as won. good as it got yeah. um yeah. and you know there were there was this sway that we could have made a fortune off expert off the dual expertise of you know yeah. rugby league yeah. knowledge plus a special consultants um yeah yeah that's a very good point the, the mariners had a very funny year uh because they and i'll just i'll go to the the, the ladder for super league it's very very funny they ended up finishing sixth. So they were the, the mm. Super League year, of course, is quite odd because the um, it, they all the established pre-Super League clubs finished in the top five, and then the non and then the old, the newer clubs finished in the bottom five. They finished uh, sixth, so they were kind of the best of the rest. They lost, but they won seven out of their nine home games mm. and lost every game away from home. There's a real sense they just couldn't play away from the dog track on like yeah, well, that's stadiums. It. <laughs> Once it was a rectangle, they couldn't hack it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but they all, like, and that included beating the Broncos twenty four six, and beating the Raiders sixteen twelve. Mm. Um, they only they, they only lost. I think yeah, they lost twice at home all year. They're quite a good side. Mm. Yeah, they're quite a good side, and that mm. side went on to do things. And we'll go through the team in uh, the team mm. they put out in this match in a minute, but. Um, it's funny, isn't it? They, if they'd have only just sort of not got belted away from home every week, they probably would have made the finals. And based on the fact that they beat Cronulla, like they beat Cronulla in the semi-final of the World Club Challenge, who had just been made the grand final of Super League. Um, I can take you to their run to the final as well, which is quite funny. And I'll get to that in a second. Here's one for you. We'll go through the team in a minute. But I, I'm going to read to you the full list of the 29 people who played for the Hunter Mariners in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, in order of cap, which is good. I don't know if they got a cap. I'd like to think they did. Oh, I'd like one if we can find one. Jeez, wouldn't that sell? Here we go. Here's yeah. a list of names for you. I suspect you're going to be surprised at how many good footballers that you remember are on this list. Not you, but mm. like people at home. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this is not a good example. One, Keith Beauchamp. Justin, <laughs> it takes a minute to warm up. Justin Dooley, Brad Godden, Noel Goldthorpe, Scott Hill, Tony Iroh. Tim Madison, Robbie McCormack, Paul Marquette, 
Neil Piccinelli, Willie Poaching, Robbie Ross, Troy Stone, Richard Swain, Gavin Thompson, Nick Zisti, Anthony Brand, John Carlaw, Troy Miles, Paul Sarpy, Mike Doreen, Craig Kamali, Darian Doherty, Robbie Bannister, Brett Kamali, Steve Ebrill, Craig Wise, Kevin Irode, Tyron Smith. I mean, guys like Scott Hill, Brett Kamali, Piccinelli, Marquette, Robbie Ross, Richard Swain. That's some pretty good players. That's some really, that's some guys that I remember as being like in a couple of cases, kind of outstanding footballers and a few more who were very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely did. Um, I'm glad you took us through that, through that list. Um, I agree that the outstanding side really on paper. Uh, I think, I think one of the real sad things of the Super League war comes out here and look, it might seem Newcastle sort of gratuitous or focused on the Knights, but it really is quite sad. Um, the Newcastle Knights were founded in 1988. And I'd just like to go through with you, not every player that played for the Knights here, I just want to go through some really significant Knights figures that as a result of Super League are mm. robbed of the opportunity of being in the Newcastle Knights 97 team. Um, and look, you can sit there and tell me they made that choice, but that's not really how it works. Like what came along was swathes of money were thrown at everyone. Some of these guys were towards the end of the Knights career, probably would have played another year, but on about you know, a tenth of the money. So there's no choice there. And that's the case for most of them. Most of these guys were good players that were towards the end that you, they would have no choice but to go comparatively to staying in the Knights for a year compared yeah. to getting these deals. Um, the, the names I think we go through, are, so Paul Marquette. Paul Marquette played from the Knights from 1990 to 1996, um, 100 and something plus games for the club. He, he's considered... and. You know, he's the good news story because he ends up coming back and winning a comp in 2001. But this guy, fancy playing for the Knights from 1990 to 1996. He was one of those guys. He was the original Bill Peden. He was the guy that if you ask that generation, they go, the guy that worked his ass off, made the team every week, got no praise from everyone else, anyone else in the other teams or the commentary. But that guy that in your team, the players would go, oh, yeah, yeah. But Paul Marquette's that guy that trains his ass off, makes that tackle, does that work. He was known as that guy. Um, Brad Godden. Now, Brad Godden played for the Knights from 90 to 96. He played in the World Cup for Australia in 1992. He was the second player, um, along with Harrigan, who went as well. He was the second after Sergeant Harrigan and Godden went on the World Cup tour. No other Knights bar Sergeant had played for Australia. Godden didn't get a test on that tour, but he did play for Australia against other international countries. Don't ask me why they're not called tests. But he didn't mm. get picked against England, so it wasn't a test. But he played for Australia. <laughs> yep. And nonetheless, on that tour. And, you know, again, he was a Knights junior. Came up in the SG ball and stuff in 88, you know. And come through the Knights from the very beginning. That's what people need to remember if the Knights yeah. were invented in 88. These are significant early years, toilers that built the club. This guy was one of our first internationals. Uh, Robbie McCormack, the moth, he uh, is a fair income original, played in 1988 in the first ever season in the Henny Pennies through to 1996. He, if he's not the first state of origin New South Wales rep, he's second. Him and Chief both debuted in 92, and I'm just not sure what game he played in. Chief might have played all series, so he might be after Chief. But, you know, the Newcastle, no, you know, we haven't had this sort of player, and he comes on all pace for New South Wales and gets a, a lot of coverage, and is there doing that hard yakko, like 88, we're no good, 89, builds through that, plays in our first semi, plays in our first final series, is in the prelim in 95, and then this he would have played in 97. Bill Peden filled in at hooker because they dropped Lee Jackson. You know, Robbie McCormack played in 96. He mixed it up with Jackson. He would have played in that game. He gets in the Super League dream team in 98 when he goes to England. He, he could still play football and you miss that game. Sergeant, Mark Sargent, 89, 
comes to the Knights from Canterbury. He's our first ever kangaroo. And believe me, that was a, you don't know, how, if you weren't in Newcastle, you don't know how much, what a big deal that was. We make quite yeah, a fuss. Still carry if on anyone, yeah. yeah, if anyone plays for Australia <laughs> yeah. Newcastle, it's a very big deal. It's 10 page spread all the time. He was the first kangaroo, the first Knight. And that was, you know, we weren't taken real seriously. And like this guy got picked for Australia and then Mal called him the best front rower in the world. And that's a big deal, you know, around here. And he kept, he was the sort of second or third captain, third captain, I think, after Hagen. So, he that he was there the whole time and he was on the verge of retirement, but he goes into administration, doesn't play, works for the Mariners, and then he does come back to work for the Knights for all these years after. But this guy, that's blood, sweat, and tears. He's an original like sorry, an original. He's from 89, second year on board, plays through all of this, all of those first finals, the prelim in 95. They go from the bottom of the table side in the late 80s and they're through all of this journey with this club that has come up through, become this big deal in the local area, fighting to mean something. And they all aren't there. Like really significant figures don't get to play in 97. When they, if, if the Super League war doesn't happen, yes, we end up with the professional game we have now, but it wouldn't have happened in a burst like that. You don't just lose five guys like that wouldn't have walked out the door. They weren't finished with football, Gordon and McCormack and Marquette. What happened was, is that Super League came along. There was a bidding war for players of all levels and ability and ages. And these guys that were towards the end of their career have this choice of stay at the Knights for peanuts or you know, for a year or two and where you might hold your spot and then retire or go to this big, you know, big flashy, like get this money and set yourself up. And they did the right thing by themselves and their family. And it just, they, it must've been awful for them to watch the 97 grand final and think mm. that I, I could have been there or, or how much I contributed to this. And not only am I not there, I'm some sort of pariah for mm. doing, for looking after myself, for having a job. Like I've changed jobs. That's what I've done. Like I've changed employers and, these people that I work so hard for and I built so much of what the Knights are doing this year, I was part of getting this up and I'm not only not there, I'm, I'm, I'm some sort of asshole that they won't talk to and the people won't look at because I'm wearing yellow and blue now. It, it's, it, it's just really sad. That's all. There's, that's yeah. a lot of guys that built that yeah. club's not one, you know, it's, no, that's true. It's, it, it's yeah. Um, and that is a mark of, of how kind of, that, of how kind of divisive it was that the, that yeah. was considered a really big choice. Um, yeah, that was that was considered a really big thing to make that move, and uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the journey to the World Club Challenge final. If you'll if you'll indulge me now, this is going to take a while. In but I really I don't know. Did you did you have much of a look at the format of this competition? I knew you have, so I've left it for you to run me through it um, okay. because I thought people might like to hear that in any case. As, uh, for those who don't know, you, we all know what the World Club Challenge is. We probably should have started off with this, is that Super League ran, rather than relaying a World Club Challenge between the winner of the English comp and the Australian comp, they ran a long-standing knockout comp between all the England and Australian sides running concurrently with the scheduled competition. So imagine at the moment if, say, you're a... Uh, West Tigers fan that the you know Benji's playing on Saturday and then he's got to scoot off next Saturday away from the competition to go and play Hull over there to see if they yeah. go to the next round of the World Club Challenge times that by a lot of games and that's what the World Club Challenge comp was. That's that's <laughs> you, you, that's look that's mostly right uh, and I and I, I was under the, yeah. I was under most of those illusions as well but yeah. what I didn't realise Gazzy when I looked into this competition is that it wasn't a knockout competition at all. Oh, not knockout. No, 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 no. See, the more you learn about this wonderful competition, I I put it to you. I'm going to make the Mm. case here that this is the worst 
tournament format in rugby league history and possibly in sporting history. And I'm going to build that case through some, some evidence. Now I'll start every day. There were four pools. Oh, I love pools. Go on. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> now there were two Australian pools and two mm. British pools right? or two European pools. Uh, because there was also Paris Saint-Germain. Um, How'd they go? Uh, well, I'll get to that. You could. So four pools. There was Group Oz A, mm. which was Brisbane, Auckland, Cronulla, Penrith, Canberra, Canterbury. So all the strong... Inventively named. Yeah, that was the strong kind of the, mm. the pre-Super League sides. Mm. And then Group Oz B is the Mariners, North Queensland, Adelaide and the Reds. So you've got one yeah. pool of six, one pool of four there mm. group Why? Europe. good question group europe a wigan london broncos bradford st helens <laughs> warrington halifax group europe <laughs> so funny group europe b <laughs> oh paris saint germain leeds oldham salford sheffield and castleford okay Jeez, that's the power group isn't it yes now to get through to the quarterfinals yeah through th- the top three teams from group oz and Group Europe A went through to the quarterfinals. And then mm. the top of the B pools, just the top one side from the just B the pools went through, right? right. The, kicker, the kicker is that you competed against teams from your own country in your pool, but you didn't play against them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to say they, they were playing the other clubs. So, right. right. So it was out of like... The, so the Mariners and the Rams, for example, to finish top of the pool, the Mariners don't need to beat the Rams. They need to beat like Salford or something. Like exactly. That's, you know, so yeah, you good. only played against teams from the other country, but you competed against it. But the, the points, the competition points, you were competing against teams from your own country. Okay. Without now, playing them. Yeah. Indeed. And you yeah. played everybody. You played three teams twice. Right now, the Broncos that's, pa- that, bear, bear with me. On. Bear with me. The Broncos yeah. path to the Super to the World Club Challenge final. This was their pool games: forty-two twenty-two over the London Broncos, thirty-four nil over Wigan, seventy-six nil over Halifax. <laughs> that's seventy-six nil. Um, Thirty to four over Wigan, thirty-four sixteen over the London Broncos, fifty-four ten over Halifax. Okay. I love the Halifax had to go again. <laughs> right. So now you're starting to get a sense of how loose this is. They're fading off though. Yeah. It's sort of getting worse. Yeah. Now they finished top of group mm. Oz A. Okay. Mm. But they finished equal on 12 points with four, three other teams. Yeah. So because the Australian say teams. That. Well, right. Yeah. I was about to say, if you play in the other teams and you're all better than the other teams, yes. then it's going to come down to four and against. Thank you. So all of the Australian, so the Australian teams only played English teams and the English teams were awful. Mm. So four Australian teams went through the pool stage undefeated. Yeah. Right. But only three could qualify for the, for the quarterfinals. Right? So Brisbane finished top because their points difference is 218. Then Auckland mm. finished second with 186 points difference. Then Cronulla with 176. So Penrith, they win all six of their games and they finish fourth and miss the quarterfinals. <laughs> right? They, they had a plus 136 points difference. They scored 256 points in six games and didn't make the next stage. 
That is totally fucking insane. I'm not done, but that is insane, isn't it? Yeah. The Raiders, right? So the Raiders mm. scored 302 points in six games, but they finished fifth in their pool out of six because they lost 38-18 to the London Broncos in the middle of the <laughs> pool stage <laughs> with a full-strength side. With Daly and Stewart and Wiki and all of them, they lost. Ben do, Kennedy, do you think everybody. there was a... Do you think there was a sense at that point that Mal would go on to win 11 Origin Series? Yeah, <laughs> like he's an immortal now coach. in part because yeah. of his coaching and he lost yeah. to the London Broncos, right? So that's quite mm. good. So think about the London Broncos. They're playing teams from all across. The, they've played the Broncos and the Raiders, right, and got wiped by mm. all of them and then beaten the Raiders the second time. Okay, so that's Group Oz A. Group Oz mm. B, the Australian teams are so much stronger than the English teams that even... In, this, in the B group that only has the Mariners, the Cowboys, the Rams, and the Reds in it, they all win more than they lose, right? Mm. The Mariners go through undefeated. I will... Uh, they beat PSG 28-12, Castleford mm. 42-14, Sheffield 40-4, Castleford 26-8, PSG 32-0, and Sheffield 58-12. Right? They finish top, so they go through... Not the, the North Queensland Cowboys, who were awful, they won five, lost one. The Rams, who were even that were equally awful, they won four, lost two. Even the Reds won four, lost two, right? Mm. So, but only the Mariners go through to the next round. Group Europe A. Now, these are the best English sides. The top of the group is Wigan, who won two and lost four. <laughs> And had a minus 123 points difference. <laughs> Drill they, charges areas. <laughs> right. So they go through to the quarterfinals. So do the London Broncos, who won one game out of six. Right? And beat so Canberra. Beat, beating Canberra. But so do the Bradford Bulls, who lost every game. <laughs> So just, I just want to remind you that yeah. Penrith, Penrith won six from six and missed out on the quarterfinals because they were fourth out of the Australian teams. Bradford lost every single game, got wiped. They, their points difference was 146 negative. And they went through to the quarterfinals. And St. Helens, who finished fourth, they also lost every game. They had a points difference of minus 174. For some reason, had a playoff against PSG, who won one and lost three in Group Europe B and beat them in the playoff. And so they went through to the quarterfinals as well. There was a playoff between the English sides, but not a playoff between the Australian sides for some reason. Right. So St. Helens, who scored 96 points in six games and conceded 270 went through to the quarterfinals of the World Club Challenge. That, you know, like, I'm a bit curious of being, like, harsh on Super League, but the point of, of this is the ARL has done many, many things wrong, but mm. they just did them wrong and continue to do them wrong. Super League started this. Like, they yes. started their own competition and were like, we're going to show you something really good. Here's something that's going to be heaps better and we're going to make Rugby League awesome. We're taking it over with all these great ideas to come up with something. And that is what they put on. 
Mm. Like that's what they've sat down in a room and come up with actually going, you know what? Like the ARL does this and it's no good. We've got to come up with something better. We need a league comp. We've got to get this going. You know, the soccer has a league comp. We're going to get something going. What, yep. How are we going to cook it up? And this is like what someone has sat in a room with another group of people and gone, this is it. This will yes. get it done. This works. Yes. How would the pool system work the following year? Like, were they just going to split the Super League based on the top six to the four if it went along the next, you know what I mean? Like, the next year, would the Mariners have bumped into the top, like, you know, the six and four group? How would that have all... Mate, you are asking questions. I couldn't... How how are you seeding people the following year? And why are the different amounts... There's just... uh, I'm sorry, but it's just... They basically started their own competition on the idea that they just had all these grand things that was going to take the game to new markets and do great things with the sport mm. and get over the fuddy-duddiness of the ARL, which all yeah. of which is true. There was a fu- terrible, the ARL was run terribly, but why, who came up with this? What's it's unbelievable. This the grand plan? It's, it, it, it is dumber than, it is dumber than putting a second team in Newcastle. It's, it's much dumber. There you go. Bradford. It is. It's incredible. Bradford. Stupid. Bradford yeah. in the course of their pool games lost 64, 14 to Auckland. And fifty four fourteen to Penrith and forty to twelve to Cronulla, right? Mm. And they went through as a automatic through to the quarterfinals. St Helens lost seventy to six to Auckland in one of their games, and still went through. Yeah. At the risk of of sounding, you know, snobbish to the English game, this is roughly the equivalent of us having this as a competition now, and let having a pool of New South Wales Cup teams, and if you won that pool after all the NRL teams played, you going in ahead of like, say the fifth place NRL side, like that's how dumb, like the comp's just not the same standard. Like it's like the reserve grade Knights, Mm. you know, going into the finals of a cup ahead of like, you know, like the dragons or something like, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Like an average crappy NRL side missing out to someone not even playing in the competition, a team that couldn't, you know, the, the comp, there's no comparison here. Well, and they the, obviously knew that with the way they set the pools up, because like, they were playing that sort of pools up against each other. But it, I, it, it's just, I, I, I don't understand what sort of drugs you would have to be taking and for what period and length of time to come up with this. And I hope whoever did come up with this was scheduled under the Mental Health Act. I, I want to share with you the uh, a comment about this. Um, mm. there, there seems to be a lot of, there seems to have been a lot of confusion in England about what was going on. There was a real sense in setting up this competition that they were of like standard and that this mm. wouldn't have, that this would be pretty even and that the English sides would give this a real crack. They and, thought that. Mm. Did they? And according yeah. to, and the reason mm. I know this is that according to Wikipedia, I'll just read you the following. Mm. The dominance of the Australasian sides in the competition led to the rugby football league. That is the UK rugby league, mm. rugby football league appointing Joe Lydon to host to head a commission to provide an explanation. I'll the, give you one. They well, stink. <laughs> you'd think that, you'd be wrong. Yeah. The general conclusion was that the Australian sides were no more skillful than the European teams. The main difference, as it had been in international football since the late 1970s, was fitness, something that they were working on by the time of the season-ending Super League Test Series between the Super League Australians and the Great Britain Lions in England in November. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, they love just, to use the English national team to, to cover over these sorts of cracks because the bottom line, we've seen in the NRL with how many good players Canberra have got and your Adrian Morley's and your Burgess and everything, you can put together an English 
international side that has enough good players to compete vaguely with Australia. They are good players over there. The point is that there's like maybe one standout NRL level player in the club and like a few that would maybe be on the bench and then a lot of people who just wouldn't play. That's more the point. It's not they, their international just, team. They use that. They always use that when they go well to coat over like the, some sort of parody. You know, these guys come over, oh, the comp, the standard must be getting better. No, there's just always some good footballers from England. I just know? don't like, think like, yeah. I just don't think, I'm just going to read you a series of results <clears throat> that I just don't think can be explained away by fitness. Mm. Round one, Canberra 70, Halifax 6. Mm. Round two, Canberra 66, London 20. Round three, Brisbane 76, Halifax 0. 76 0. Round four, Auckland 64, Bradford 14. Round five, as I said, Auckland 70, St. Helens 6. And then even when they got to the quarterfinals, Auckland 62, Bradford 14. Brisbane 66, St. Helens 12. I just, do we know? Do we know what he got paid for this commission? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a really good question. Because I, I just you would have just like sort of got a big pen and a piece of paper and said your team stink and the players aren't as good as the Australian players. That seems like the conclusion that should have been drawn is that there was a yeah. quite palpable difference in standard between the two sides, and then yeah. get it. some pokies money, get some pokies money, buy yeah, good, and then play- you can have a yeah. side. I'm just going yeah. to, just since I think of it, I just want to read you the list of try scorers from the 76, uh, Brisbane 76, Halifax nil. Go on. Wendell Saylor, hat-trick. Mm. Darren Smith, hat-trick. Mm. Anthony Mundine, two. And then also tries from Tony Carroll, Alan Langer, Glenn Lazarus, John Plath, Steve Renoff, Gordon Tallis, and Shane Webke. Yeah. Now, by my so count, who, that is... Can you tell me who didn't score? That might 15, be quicker. 15 tries. Darren Lockyer, tough day with the boot. Eight from 15. <laughs> so, so he wasn't he's, much good sometimes, was he? No, he wasn't. He, so he's butchered. He's butchered another fourteen points. They could have won ninety nil if he'd been able to kick straight. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of misses, isn't it? It is a lot of misses. They also won the like, scrum six three. Um, yeah, it's incredible. John yeah. Schuster. John Schuster played on the bench for Halifax. Mm, the great man. Yeah. Mm. Um, Do we have any word on whether he had one one boot with longer studs than the other, as he did at the Knights, to increase his sidestep? I'd say that's probably right. Uh, He'd been fairly late on the shoe by then, I would have thought. I think, you know, (laughs) so he played for the All Blacks in the 80s, (laughs) just as an example. (laughs) (laughs) From the the starting side, Mm. uh, the only people who didn't score were Darren Lockyer, oddly, Kevin Walters, Walters, Andrew G and Brad Thorne. It's not a bad list. No, it's not a bad list. (laughs) Quite good players there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you'd like that. 76 yeah, nil. Um, then to get to the final, uh, the Broncos, as I say, 66 St. Helens, 12 in the quarterfinal. Then, in, then they actually had to play a proper team and beat Auckland to 22-16 uh, to get into the final. Whereas the Mariners, they had quite an extraordinary run. They played Wigan in Wigan in the quarterfinal uh, and were behind at half time and rolled home in one of the last games at Central Park, Wigan's famous home ground, 22 points to 18. And then beat Cronulla at Cronulla, 22 points to 18, to get themselves into the final of this bizarre and ludicrous competition. Uh, it's these games, by the way, that mm. so they were they played the games three at a time. So they would comp- so they would mm. basically play, they would lock down the Super League, mm. and so they played World Club Challenge games on the sixth 
on in the first, second, and third week of June, mm. and then the uh, July eighteenth, twenty fifth, August first, and then the first three weeks of October was when they played the knockout rounds. So you could play a home game and not play another game in the main competition for a month feasibly, then play what, how many more before you had to go for the second block? It wasn't uh, see, that long I'm, after, was it? I'm glad you brought that up. I'll, I'll share with you the season of yeah. the Canberra Raiders. They're super, this is their main, their actual Super League season. Yeah. They played at home on the 5th of May against Cronulla, a 22-8 win at Bruce Stadium in front of 13,875. Their next home game was on the 7th of July in the, the next Super League home game. Doesn't that build momentum, especially when you're trying to not only build momentum for your competition, but sort of actually make this competition stick in the minds of people? Like make yeah. this, you want to make this seem as the main competition and have it carry some gravitas and, and, yeah. and sort of weight with the public. Playing a game and not playing again for sort of months at a time and then having three weeks off and coming back for a few, then going away again. Um, just this, that to me is almost as mad as the tournament because like not only like the set, the actual scheduling it in like this and blocking out the Super League because far out, how mad do you and I go when all they do with the state of origin is like have a couple of buy rounds? Like when they go, mm. you know, three teams play off, the three teams have the week off, but four teams play with shitty players and the origin players are out. Those three or four weeks drive you and I absolutely insane. That's wrecking right. the momentum of the competition. And when they have rep round with one week off, it drives me totally mad. Like all aside that I love watching Lebanon and Tonga play, which I very much do. The, the not having the club football for the weekend gets me really antsy. It gets me itchy. I get agitated. It mm. sends me totally off the wrong way. And everyone always talks about how when Origin finally ends, the comp can finally build momentum. And it means something again, the crowds pick up after they drop off in that mid season. And there's this real push towards who's going to make the finals, who's going to make the eight. And you see it every year, don't you? Like that mm. push off where it really kicks off again and we go, oh, we're back again. This matters again. This is really important. I can only imagine how hard it must have been to build that in a new competition when you were just blocking out three-week periods at a time yeah. to play games. And you go, you go up, and oh, not oh, just the games. Mariners play. What, what's it mean this time? Oh, we're watching the Mariners play. What's this mean? Oh, they're playing blah, blah. Which comp's that in? What happens yeah. if they win today? Like, what's this? Doing? And, the, and, 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 and for the Raiders, for example, who were battering everyone in the in the yeah. comp, um, except for the London Broncos, um, they so they play on the first of June, and then they don't play another Super League game at all, home or away, until the twenty seventh of June. Then they play on the fourteenth of July, uh, and don't play in Super League again until the 9th of August. So you're just having months off from the competition, and then you play three games, and you're in the and it's the finals. Um, and the crowds, the, the, the Raiders crowds really tail off. Like they're getting, they get 10,000 to watch the Cowboys and the Reds. Um, but, but after they start playing these silly games, they can only get 8,000 to watch Canterbury. Yeah. And they can only get, and then they get 8,000 to watch Adelaide. Um, it's, it's, just, it's insane. It's yeah. It's, it just robs all momentum. And you see that, I think, very clearly with the way Origin's been run. And actually, this year, one of the great things about Origin not being on was the competition really never seemed to lose. It didn't have that mid-season sputter of yeah. where you lose it. People lose interest and the crowds drop and the momentum's down in the middle and then it's bang, we're back. And I thought this year it carried on really well um, without that in the corona year. And 
And this is sort of the polar opposite of anything most people think. Like even the people who love Origin and think we have to have it and it has to be mid-season, they still think of it as a necessary evil. They go, we love it and we have to do it, but it is a shame what it does to the club comp. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the, right. Everyone knows that it buggers the club comp up and you go times that by a million, like times it by three Origin stretches in the middle of the season, cutting the comp off for months in... What a- and yeah, what's so it's funny just, about this is that... How do you go watch a new club? Like, the Raiders are one thing. How do you go watch the Mariners? I know it's repeating myself, but ropping up and going, oh, who are they playing this week and why? Why are they playing Paris? What's this mean? Yeah, what's this mean? Like, oh, I wanted to go yeah. watch them play. Or who are they playing this week? What comps are in? Where are they on that table? I'm trying to follow this bloody World mm. Club Challenge table where they're competing against the Rams. But how are they going against the Rams in the Super League cop too? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. And they marry them up. Um, Despite not know, actually playing them in the, in, the, in the World Club Challenge. Yeah. yeah. But how, how are they going against the Rams in two separate comps? Yeah, what's this game against the Raiders? And how does it affect where they're coming against the Rams in two different competitions and the at thing once? That's, you and know? The, thing that, the thing that is so funny about this mm. is that the whole point of Super League and the whole reason Rebo started all of this in the first place is because he thought that the ARL marketing was no good and that they were wasting all these opportunities at promotion and that they needed to become smarter and more corporate and... Mm. sponsors in and appeal to the fans and give create this big product that people would want and make it really commercial. Mm. And when they finally got control of their own comp, yeah. they run this bizarre confection that nobody was interested in called the World Club Challenge. They 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 interrupt their main competition for month for a month at a time, twice in the peak football season, July and August. Mm. And just when you thought it couldn't get much better, they also botch up state of origin by wedging New Zealand into it and having a a minimum of only one game between New South Wales and Queensland, Mm. despite the fact that they actually had most of the good players that were going Mm. to be in origin and then making the final, like making them play New Zealand for the right to play each other again. It's just crazy. But but the whole point was that they were so smart and they were going to change the way the game was run and run it properly and make a proper quid out of it. I just came out with all this madness. Well, that's right, because people will defend Super League and say, well, this isn't really what they, this competition isn't what they wanted. They were trying to take over the league, as in they wanted to get all the teams. So when you say, you know, the Mariners suck and the Rams suck, I, I can give them a leave pass for the strength of the comp and the way that the actual comp play that I can say that if they won, you know, a 10 team comp wouldn't have been that crappy like if you had a, the Knights yeah. and you had an amalgamate like the actual quality of the football probably would have been quite good so you get a leave pass for the quality of some of the football and you get a leave pass for the joke teams they had down the bottom because they didn't actually want that they there wasn't supposed to be two comps what you don't get a leave pass for and what I would say back to critics that when I have had a crack at Super League is that if they had have had the Knights and if they had have had the Eagles and they had have had all these teams and they had have amalgamated a mad beautiful big Western Sydney club and chucked it in there and they played against Brisbane and Canberra and it was this beautiful thing. This comp still would have been absolutely ridiculous because this is yeah. what they, this, they would this, still would have come up with this comp. This was still their idea and it still would have been absolutely fucking terrible. If this, <laughs> if, if, if this was yeah. their instinct, yeah, then thank Christ they never got hold of the actual competition. Like yeah, the quality of the players wouldn't have made this any less dumb. Like, this was dumb. No. The Raiders crowds, ta- crowds tailed off when they were playing Canterbury late season, who were a good team. Like you said, like, the thing is, having the Knights and having all the good teams and having all the best rugby league and being the best rugby league comp in the world would have made this no more stupid. 
and no more appealing to anyone at all. It just would have ended up with a different team playing Brisbane at the end of beating St. Helens by 80 points. You know? it's just, <laughs> yeah. It's, I, 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 the more I read about this, the more hmm. I just, I thought, because I was like you, I thought oh, they must have played some knockout through the year. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's unbelievable. I knew they went overseas and did these blocks, but I didn't realise it wasn't knockout because I've never yeah. been through the tournament. But yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing, isn't it? And the origin thing goes back to it as well. Again, if they had everyone, they still would have concocted a tri-series where Laurie Daly would have been joined by Brad Fittler and Andrew Johns and the Chief would have played with Lazo and that. But they still would have concocted a comp where that team would only play Queensland once unless they yeah. beat New Zealand in a game. No one cared about New South Wales playing New Zealand. Like, no, that's, the, that's wild. The, they um, still could, they concocted a competition where New South Wales would play Queensland not many times, and English teams would play against our teams in the middle of the competition in giant blocks for the right to play in a competition that would end up with two Australian teams playing for a different trophy to the one that was being played for most of the season that was the one that mattered, that was supposed to be the important to, one. Yeah, and it goes to the kind of basic problem of Super League, doesn't it, that, that this whole mm. comp... It was about marketing and all this, but fundamentally it was being run by people who didn't actually get the game and didn't understand what people really... They, they, their idea was we need to give people more of what they want. Unfortunately, they just didn't know what that was. And there's all these things that sound really cool and innovative and all of this, but they were trash. Nobody wanted to watch it. And, well, ru- rugby league and the people, kicker... Uh, yeah, no, yeah. do go. The rugby league people, are, when it comes to their sport and stuff, the conservative nature, us in footy, we, they turn their nose up at flashy stuff and new stuff. Mm. Always have. You want to change a rule. You want to put, like, you know, they go, we're going to put the video ref in. Ah, we don't need a video ref. Ref should make their bloody decisions. You put in a bunker. I don't need a fucking bunker. Anything you do, yeah, you make so- a rule change. And you're a real special for this. They change a rule. Oh, yeah. You're like, ah, oh, bloody tinkering with the rules. Like, this, 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 this archy way of, like, we like our footy. Don't change it. Leave us alone. And this, like, well, we've got this for you. Instead of having a competition with the trophy at the end of the year where you all play each other twice or nearly twice or pretend to play each other twice and get to a knockout out final series and someone wins we're going to give you this comp where you play this guy for the right to do this over here over here to get to this result and we're going to get rid of your state of origin and we're going to give you this and oh, this yeah. is what you're going to have now and we, we just know when we're going to have like fireworks going off and this is going to happen and people just go the gimmicks and stuff that's it you know what I mean? that's it that's it might just... work in another sport but it's what's that shit that's your yeah, attitude yeah. of rugby league that's people it. to this it's it and it's like the nines and the sevens and the all-stars and all this stuff it always falls on its date because oh, yeah. People fundamentally, rugby league people, when it all comes down to it, they just want to watch Parramatta and Manly. Yeah, and, it, and, it is. Can, and, and Canterbury and Souths and the Broncos, sure, but like that, you can't take that out and replace it with St Helens and Paris. It just it, and and this is a great example. The Mariners, by the way, I want to um, I want to share with you the some of the crowd figures for the last stages of this competition. But I'll just run you through the Mariners' home crowds for the group stage of the mm. World Club Challenge. Uh, they played Castleford, mm-hmm. 3,379. Good. Uh, they played Paris Saint-Germain, long way from Paris to the Walls End Dog Track, by the way. Uh, a crowd of 2,210 attended that game. Mm. Uh, and finally, they played Sheffield. And they, keep in mind, they were doing very well at this point. This was the last round. And they were top of their group. Uh, 1,965. It's insane, isn't it? It's good. It's, um, you can get that to watch the Scorpions, the Macquarie Scorpions or the Cessnock Goannas play. Or yeah. the West. Oh, comfortably you get that. Yeah. 
it, that it, it was COVID safe 20 years before it was necessary. Mm. Incredible. Can, it, it's insane. Um, it goes back to what I said. Look, I said, why did they put a team there? And I, I don't want to go into huge depth on what seems an obvious question, but they thought they were so smart. Why didn't they put this team on the central coast? It's got really sure. good players. It's a really good team. The central coast has been like chipping to get a team forever. And they would have thought, you know, we've got this and we're going to stick it up the nights because we've got our own team now. And well, yeah. why didn't they, and this, this might've been quite a story of a team on the central coast, like ran through a comp and the central coast people might've bought in to go against the, you know what I mean? Like the bloody ARL wouldn't give us a team. The Knights won't play any games here. You know, we're, we're going to win all this over here and compete against the Knights. Why didn't they, that might've been quite a, sensible thing to do why would you put them to play in front of 1000 at the dog track which anyone could have seen coming anyone yeah and this is it like just a bit of understanding yeah. and but mm. even the rest of the comp the semi-final of the world club mm. challenge the, the the competition notionally to find out the best club side in the world brisbane who mm. super league was all about and was designed for and who supposedly were foaming at the mouth to go and watch the broncos semi-final against auckland in october 9,686. In Brisbane? Yeah. ANZ Stadium. Wow. And, really? And, That's, doesn't that and, tell a story that people don't necessarily want to hear in Brisbane? You yep. Know? And Cronulla, who had just made the grand final of Super League and were a very good side, they're also in the semi-final of the World Club Challenge. They're playing at home 5,214. And is this after the final of Super League? Is that yep. right? this is October. Isn't that stunning? Isn't that another one? Like you imagine, um, what do you think the mood would have been to watch Newcastle play like St. Germain or something like three weeks after the ARL? After 97 grand final. Yeah, I'd like to see how it sort of form Joey showed up in. Um, Can you imagine the the local press at the time in Newcastle, like three weeks after or even two weeks Mm. after the 97 grand final, the Mariners playing Cronulla in front of 5,000 for the right to play the Broncos in the World Club Challenge final? Yeah, I think there'd have been quite a bit more coverage over like what Andrew Johns was drinking at Bar Beach or something like that day. Like Joey Watch and Matthew Johns Watch. Um, I think it's it's just, but isn't like I, I think what what I'm getting at there is to say is to, just that if you again if you want to build your competition to matter and be the pinnacle, you can't have games after the grand final. Like if no. if the Super League, you know what I mean. Like there's no competition. I put it to you that there's no competition where the absolute pinnacle of that competition the game that defines that competition, you know, whether it's the final round or the, or the grand final, whatever it is, those teams are then done for the year. Like they don't play as, you know, like there's test matches and stuff, but the Newcastle Knights win the grand final. That's it. Playing two weeks later, if you want that to be the pinnacle and Super League's trying to set up this competition and establish it and establishment's important because it does take time for these things to build and tradition to build. If you want to promote the Super League as the biggest event in town, they said they were going to make it like the Super Bowl. So they're yeah. going to have parades all week, make it like the Super Bowl parades and sort of ticket tapes and like big bands and make it this big week of entertainment. If you do that, you can't be playing. The Broncos can't be playing for a trophy two weeks later. No. It just doesn't build that as the pinnacle, does it? No, it doesn't. i tell you what else is quite good. The Mariners, uh, the, <laughs> the Mariners didn't make the finals of Super League. So they played their last league game on the 24th of August. And then they played the Super League. Uh, they played the World Club Challenge quarterfinal on the 3rd of October. So that's six weeks off. 
So that do you think sense. that, yeah, do you think that that was maybe a reason that, you know, they, they had to make a comeback in one game and then they sort of come out slow against Brisbane? Do you think sort of the lack of competitive football on a regular basis might have had a little bit to do with some of that? They yeah, come out really slow in this game and they've came out slow in some of the others you're saying. And yeah. I just don't think you need to put to be a rocket surgeon to say, say to put together that maybe not playing every week. <laughs> like yeah, so they're having six on, weeks off on the, yeah. presumably fairly hard on the cans. Um, yeah, yeah. Some damage. The last thing I will say about this tournament before we talk a little bit mm. about this very bad game is that uh, they put up $1 million prize money for the winning team. Mm. Fair, bit of, fair bit of coin in 1997, fair bit of coin now. Um, well, it's, it's just encouraging to know that after everything they missed out on in Super League, Brisbane mm. finally got a payday. <laughs> finally got a bit of coin. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but this tournament, Lost five million dollars. <laughs> uh, not to not to uh, quote anyone against themselves, but uh, in the words of uh, sort of Rebo to the ARL, the New South Wales ARL in the in, in early nineties, uh, aren't you blokes interested in finance? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit mm. like that, isn't it? It also, of course, killed the World Cup Challenge concept off for about three years. They didn't play another one at all until two thousand. Which is funny because the like whilst I don't buy into it or care too much about it, the original concept of the premiers of both comps playing each other is perfectly sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to do the best club team in the world is have one England team that won the whole comp play against the team here. That this won was the whole so game. bad um, that they they couldn't indulge any kind any form of it ever again. Um, yeah. One yeah. thing about you, what you said about the money, because I just think it's important. What I want to note is that hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on the Super League War. Mm. Um, so I just want to make the point to you that they spent hundreds of millions of dollars fighting for the right to set up their own competition so that they could start a competition that could lose $5 million. Exactly. But you've got to put all that together. They spent, they actually like, they spent hundreds of millions for the right to set this up because of their deep-seated belief in concepts such as the World Club Challenge. Exactly. To do this, um, mm. it was all worth the fight, you'd have to say. Um, mm. This game is uh, so odd because it's played in Auckland. And th the great thing, again, mm. this is the kicker out of everything else about Super League's marketing and promotion mm. and setup, is that they've run a competition with, what, 22 teams in it. Mm-hmm. And they've put the final, 22 teams across four countries. Mm. And they put the final in a country that only had one of those teams. Yeah. And nine of the teams come from Australia who it was, if you were going to bet, it's fairly solid that there was going to be an Australian, at least one Australian team in the final. Yeah. Um, you're going to put it in England or Australia, but, you know, sort of, I think at going in, you would have had a fair inkling that one Australian team might get in. So, so it would be fairly up. safe to run it in Sydney or Brisbane yeah. or Australia, you know. I reckon. Um, and can I say, you wouldn't be really competing for grounds in October because there's nothing else on. Like, yeah, you didn't you necessarily need to book in advance. Yeah. Yeah, well, you could have booked the Greyhound track a week out, I would have thought. Well, you, you would have, have got a few. Well, you should have got a few at the Greyhound track, yeah. Even yeah. just people would have just turned up just to boo. <laughs> you know, they yeah. Just, yeah, jump the fence and boo. Um, yeah, so 10,000 turned up for this pinnacle of rugby league. Um, mm. Brisbane playing the Hunter Mariners in Auckland, promoter's dream. Um, mm. The game itself kind of more or less stinks. The, the, they jump out. After 29 minutes, the Broncos lead 26 nil. Um, Walters, Plath, Darren Smith, Darren Smith, Darren Smith. 
Um, just didn't he look dynamic out wide, Darren Smith? Playing yeah, in the centres in the 13, fast. yeah. Yeah, there's like, I think this sort of, you know, with the game itself, um, I had a couple of things on that sort of around the start, if you like. It, it's, um, oh. you've gone through a couple of them. I, I think I just wanted to, the concocted, I call it concocted jingoism is very obvious in this game. Yeah. Uh, what I mean by that, I don't know if you caught the kickoff, but it it just made me laugh so much. So, so as you say, set the scene, we're in Auckland in front of a questionable 10,000 watching the Mariners play the Broncos. And this big voice comes out over the big screen for the kickoff and goes, 10, 9, 8, 7, all the way and goes, 3, 2, 1, kickoff! Like, what are they kicking the ball off? And nobody buys in whatsoever, nor would they ever at any point. One of the great things about rugby league crowds is they don't, even to this day, when you get, like, the Knights announcer go, we need to hear you, Newcastle. No one will buy in. Everyone no. hates it. Yeah. And, and it's the same every ground. When people try and whoop you up, rugby league people back off. And this 10 9, you're going, like, I'm listening to it now, just going, oh, piss off, you're having a land here. And, yeah. at, and then during the game, it's not every set, but at random points of the game, rock music blares out during the sets. During and play. this was a thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a set when the Mariners get on the attack when they're trying to mount a comeback and it just starts playing the Mariners themes. So Brad Gordon gets the ball, passes it to Brett Kamali, and it just busts into, we are the Mariners, the Hunter Mariners, and the ball's going back and through the set and then they give a really bland turnover. And that, that wasn't a one-off. I, um, I've watched Canberra play the Mariners and the same thing happened at Bruce Stadium. The Canberra music starts blaring over and different rock songs, like they start playing... You know, like, ole, ole, whilst the Raiders are running the ball. And so that it's not just randomly out of nowhere. With no, It doesn't even go with a crescendo. It's not like when something big is happening. They just no. chuck it on. And aside from that, I think the only other pregame I had, I really had to run you through, was Brent Todd. Because oh, yes. I just want to start you through, and we haven't run through the Broncos side, but we don't really need to overly. Um, I just want to say that he came out with at the start saying, I think the Mariners' pack's going to bash them. And they'll be too strong in the forwards. God, I don't know if you've, you? got Bris- if you've got Brisbane's pack for I, me, could you read it out? I'll read you yeah. both sides. And um, let's just, from there, I just won't comment again. I'll let our viewers make up their mind about Brent Todd's expert commentary on forward packs. Yeah, um, the Brisbane side is as follows. Uh, fullback Darren Lockyer, wings Michael Devere and Wendell Saylor. Centres Darren Smith and Steve Renoff. The halves Kevin Walters and Alan Langer are the forwards. As Brent Todd, This is the forward pack that Brent Todd said was going to get bashed. Shane Webke uh, and Andrew G in the front row. Hooker John Plath. Second row Gordon Tallis, Brad Thorne uh, and former New South Wales Police Commissioner Peter Ryan. Uh, the, the bench Ben Walker, Michael Hancock, Tony Carroll and Philip Lee. Uh, the Hunter Mariners, fullback Robbie Ross, wings Nick Zisti and John Carlaw, centres Brad Godden and Kevin Iroh, the halves Scott Hill and Brett Camorley. The forward pack that was going to bash the Brisbane forward pack is as follows. Anthony Bran, Robbie McCormack, Troy Stone, Darian Doherty, Paul Marquette, Tyron Smith, uh, and the bench Keith Beauchamp, Tim Madison, Tony Iroh, and uh, tackle machine Richard Swain. Mm. I'm just going to, if you want to add anything there, feel free. But otherwise, I think we'll let that comment I speak for just itself. Let that hang in the air. Um, yeah. yeah. As you Brent, said, Todd, Brent Todd, I think you'd have to say, has said better things at other times. <laughs> yeah, much better things. Yeah. Um, it, Graham, look, yeah. Your, your sort of talk of the game and Brisbane running through the tries is pretty accurate. They get out there and just go bang, 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 one try, two try, three try. It's 16 nil after 20 minutes. Um, then Darren Smith goes again and, you know, not, there's not much to say about it. The fifth try is sort of nice. Tallis 
throws a great offload to Lockyer, who runs wide, turns inside to Smith. But otherwise, it's just nothing. Brisbane just run five tries in where the Mariners put up no resistance and Brisbane rolls through in that way that anyone who's seen the 98 Broncos or the 2000 Broncos will be very familiar with. They were just too good. Roll through them. Um, I had a note that I did very much want to raise with you. And I just want to say to you that this is the third game with Gordon Tallis that we've watched. Um, Gordon Tallis is the best player on the field in all three games we've watched. Um, very clearly, if you've got any argument with that, he's the dominant player on the field. Every no, so the, the 98 Super Bowl, he's definitely the best player mm. on the field there. He's the best player in this. What was the other game we watched him in? It was the or, it was the, um, the fake or, the Tri-Nations where he's oh, that's right. Lazo yeah, off the yeah, kickoff. Right. He, he does he's, too. He's terrifying. He's just, I don't, I, he, um, he still scares me. Well, the thing is, I always knew how good he is, but you can forget a little bit. Like, I always put him in my great yeah. players in the back row. But having watched him again, I've put him back being like, no, 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 he's the best second row I've ever seen. And it's not really that all that competitive. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, um, he's a wild man. Anyone who didn't see him, um, he, I, I wrote a description here. If you're watching football now. So Gordon Tallis, you know, he wasn't – people think of him as tough and a fighter, but he was really aggressive and skillful and fast. He was like David Fafida, Broncos David Fafida, not Andrew's twin. Um, Bronco, he was like David Fafida if David Fafida was criminally psychotic and hell-bent on killing people. Like That's a that, yeah. yeah, That power and mad. pace, that power and pace with this absolutely psychotic, frightening – desire to dominate people he didn't have a desire to step in. no yep. he competitive yep. and like yep. yeah demented, with the fastness and athlete, yeah. yeah all of that but with the quickness and athleticism of a Fafita like, the actor like David Fafita David Fafita's body with like Paul Gallon's intensity and hardness and all of that yeah like that yeah, kind yeah, of like, yeah 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 he, he was yeah. Mad. Very rarely run, runs together. And people, I think, forget how athletic he was. That's the mm. thing. I don't think people remember how quick and skillful yeah. he was to go with his psychotic craziness. Off a, off yeah, a, a year off, mind you, at this point. This is the year after he's sat out of season. Um, yeah. The tries, the tries are very soft. Like, there's John Platt mm. scores from 20 metres out from dummy half just for no reason, just kind of runs straight through them. There's mm. no markers. Um, no, Talis takes a nice run. That's all it is. Talis bends him and he just gets yeah. up and there's no markers. There's yeah. no markers there and he goes through and scores. It, it's, it's all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm. There's a couple of plays where they just go wide and there's numbers and they go over for no reason. Um, the, the couple of things I want to mention from this period, mm. though, um, are they the biggest post pad, goal post pads you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah, they are. They're very quite, close. Quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so they get up. What do they get up by? They get up to 20, 26, 26 nil. nil. Yeah. 26 nil. So 26 nils where the game gets out to it's 16 nil in the 20th minute in the final, the grand final of this competition. 26 nil. Yeah, the goalposters, there's an incident there where the ball gets stuck on top of it at some point. Uh, they yeah, kick it's in it almost It almost stays stuck on top. It's bigger <laughs> than the Canberra milk. The like Canberra milk bottle was the standard bearer for large mm. goalposts. Um, I've got one I need to mention to you as well. Hit me. Uh, Robbie McCormack. So Robbie yes. McCormack does a ground tap in this game to take a penalty. Ooh. So what I remember that puts the ball on the ground, does the little tap forward by kicking the ball slightly forward to pick up as his tap, which I must say secondary only to the extravagant flamboyant kick up tap where you kick it up off your foot. I love those. Yeah, they're both good. Matthew Johns was a special for that. Um, and it's, you know, obviously Newcastle values in meth tapping, uh, I just think it's just needed to be noted. Yeah, you don't see and, the, you don't see the ground yeah. tap very often anymore. Yeah, the lawnmower sort of ground tap. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, also, 
and I didn't record which commentator said it, but when the Broncos score in the fourth minute to go 6-0 in front, somebody says that's not the start Hunter would have wanted. Good, yeah. Uh, which yeah. is good. Um, that's a, yeah, the commentary is quite good. Uh, that, that, I know, that was the main commentator, and he, he shows quite a lot of knowledge about the game because he actually starts the second half by saying, I wonder why they called, God only knows why they called them the Mariners, you know, from the Hunter. He goes, there's a lot of stuff up there in the, you know, the Hunter Valley. There's like vineyards and coal, and, uh, coal mines, but yeah, no, there's not, I don't know that there's much water. And I don't yeah. know if this idiot's ever been to Newcastle, but it's quite, it's it's quite, it's quite surrounded by beaches and a giant port. And like a harbour. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, the whole thing's built on a harbour, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, not with I heard that as well. That's on. That's in my notes. Also, mm. um, the 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 scorer's kick rule. Now, I don't know why, but when we watched the when we watched the the Super League Tri Series final, we never really noticed this or commented on it. Um, yeah, we should. Have, and it, yeah. and it is one of the first things that people mention about Super League. Didn't they change the rule so that scored the team that scored kicked off? Can I just ask why? They did this? Like, what, what was the... Well, it definitely helped even the game up by giving the losing team the ball. Like, Broncos haven't got up to 26-0. It really gave the Mariners... Exactly. It made no difference at all. Noting that they yeah. scored 15 times against Halifax. You could make an argument that, like, I guess if you started from scratch and they said which team should kick off, you could say, well, it would be an advantage from scoring to pin the... It would be more of an advantage to pin the other team starting on their goal line than it would be to get the ball. To, if you think about how many times someone scores and drops the ball next that you could argue it's more of an advantage in a weird way, but I'm just talking nonsense. Like that's if you started the game fresh and we had to make a decision, but why you would change the existing rule. It's just not something anyone was clamoring for or serves any purpose or is it got any meaning? Like it doesn't, why change this? Mm, I agree with that. That's like, a really what, good question. I, it, I don't, you know, I could pro, coming not, up with that is better if you started from scratch. Rugby league had never been played. I went, oh, yeah, right. Oh, winner kicks doesn't sound that bad of an idea. But why you sat in a room and said, you know what needs to change? What we've got to fix yeah, is what, what the ARL is. what Arco's getting wrong. Yeah. What no? problem were they trying to fix other than yeah. making it look less like normal football? I, I, don't, I don't really understand yeah. that. Um, and one more thing, and, and this is a question I want to put to you, and it is a bit of a niche Newcastle question, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Do you think the... Do you think the Mariners would have been more successful commercially and in the hearts of the Newcastle people if instead of this kind of half-baked Parramatta green and uh, uh, blue and yellow nonsense, they had adopted the official civic colours of Newcastle, the green and brown? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on getting one of those at the moment, the old green and brown Newcastle jerseys. Um, it, yeah. I think, well, it's, I'm glad you mentioned the colours because we should have mentioned that. Now, if you look, and I'll put this up very clearly on when I put up Jersey of the Week, I'll put up the Mariners jacket tomorrow. Um, one of the things you find with that is that though their colours are yellow and blue, they have this weird, silly way of trying to ingratiate with the knights by adding a red stripe to the jacket and they add a red mm. their pant their, their jacket pants are only blue and red their jacket top has a red stripe and their their socks in this are the old knight socks despite wearing yellow and blue they put red on the yellow and blue sock with a stripe like they wear red and blue socks with yeah. a red stripe on the yellow and blue so, so it's this weird myth of their colors and oddly adding in very very similar parts to what newcastle were wearing in those years and just before with copying the socks, adding red to the tracksuit. And it's this weird, again, getting back to why would you put a team there? If you're going to put a team there, like stop half stealing the Knights colors. Like Jesus Christ, give them some identity. Yeah. You know? uh, green and Brown would have got them. I, you would have had, 
What was your favourite sponsor? Like, there's one with a Caltex on it, and there's one with a Newcastle Herald. There's a few good ones around yeah. that. Yeah, oh, for the for the rep jersey. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a one. That's the jersey. I don't know, but probably Tui's, I suppose. Um, mm. Yeah, look, I just I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Is something they could have done to ingratiate themselves. Nick Zisti, well, the, the big who they keep talking about as the biggest winger in the game, uh, goes yeah. over in the 35th minute to make it 26-4. Uh, a bit of nice interchange between Brett Morley and Robbie Ross. Just to talk about the football for a second, I, I just wanted to note that I thought Robbie Ross was the player on the Mariners' side who consistently looked dangerous and threatening and didn't look at all like he was above his level. Robbie Ross is a very good player. So Robbie Ross is a very funny career. So Robbie Ross in 96, sorry, 95, 1995, um, as a very young man, was playing so well, and no one will remember this, but it's fair income. So he unseated Robbie O'Davis at Newcastle Knights. Uh-huh. Robbie O'Davis was shifted to the wing for the final six games of 1995, and keeping him on Newcastle run through to the prelim. Um, very few people will be aware that Robbie Ross was the fullback going through the end of that season. So what happened, though, is that Robbie Ross, in the middle of that Super League spat down in 95, ends up um, signing you know, to go to the Mariners. Um, or Sorry, he signs with Super League. I don't know if they actually had the Mariners yet or not, but he signs with Super League, Super League contract. And what happens yeah. is he has this run for the Knights and then Super League's supposed to start the next year. And when it doesn't, it go the court blocks it starting in 96. He has to find a club for 96 because he signed with the Super League. Mm. Um, so they had to find him a club. So he didn't ever really plan on leaving the Knights, but he's unseated Robbie O'Davis, who is now... It's unthinkable now to think Robbie O'Davis in the middle of his career got asked for someone in Newcastle and was moved to the wing, but they put Robbie Ross then had to find a club. So Robbie Ross went to Brisbane for 1996. <laughs> so Robbie Ross unseated Robbie O'Davis, goes to Brisbane and gets picked over Darren Lockyer for a fair chunk of the 96 season. So <laughs> he's having quite a run at the moment of fullbacks that for the next few years are considered much better than him for no reason. Yeah. So he's unseated O'Davis, unseats Darren Lockyer, um, tries to stay at Brisbane actually, um, because he really enjoyed it there and, 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 you know, I imagine it was quite better than going to the Mariners, but um, ends up anyway, that they, they force him to play for the Mariners and honor, honor a contract. And he comes down to the Mariners. So this is a guy at this point that is really starting to make his name in the game. And, and of course he uh, ends up winning a competition when he goes to, to Melbourne. He, he, um, he wins, uh, sorry, he plays for Australia, plays for New South Wales. He has, he retires at maybe 27, 28 years old due to chronic, chronic injury. So, Cut very short, but he he was certainly an outstanding player. And he, you're right, he didn't look out of place. And I tell you, it's no mug that in 1996 to be having Wayne think yet to play fullback on occasion over Lockyer and, and yeah, to yeah. Robbie O'Davis in the mid-90s at Newcastle. Um, yeah. unf- sacrilege a couple of years later. Well, um, if he'd have, so it's he was, another good example where Super League kind of disrupted his... If he'd have played... Like, his, his period of being uh, in the public eye as a good player ended up being sort of 98 to maybe 2002 or something. It should have been now. And it could have been from 95 to 2002. You know, like if he'd have stayed with the Knights or if he'd gone to Brisbane and stayed there or whatever, or if he'd just been at the same club at a time when the whole comp was together. If he'd have played like he did for the Mariners this year, because he was electric in this game in a terrible side that was getting thrashed, that he, if he'd have played like that through that period, on Friday night football, he would have been considered a real yeah. gun. He he would have been a star. Yeah. At a time, it's, yeah. um, 
Yeah. Well, gratuitous Knights complaint. Can I just say, well, something that really bothers me about the Newcastle Knights is that Robbie Ross, we had, in 1995, we're making choices between Robbie Ross and Robbie O'Davis and also not picking Brett Kamali. And in the 20-something-plus years following this period, we haven't produced one player as good as Robbie Ross or bloody or Brett, Brett Kamali that, that have come through the Knights juniors and played no, first grade for Newcastle not even for juniors. Not in a hell have any players since about 1997, 98, those golden generation, have we developed a single player as good as the many that we've let go because they couldn't get in. Because they couldn't get in the side. Um, yeah, like it's absolutely... Like we've barely, I don't, we haven't produced a halfback as good as Brett Finch, who didn't play for us, who was a local, let alone Brett Kamali. And, yeah. and, you know, we certainly have not produced a fullback through our own ranks anywhere near Robbie Ross. Um, yeah. But you're right, he was the standout. I also thought Scott Hill was really good. Um, Scott, Hill just, Scott Hill. Scott Hill. He played him and, oh, him and Trent Barrett had this lovely... I loved the both way they both play with width. He had this lovely way of getting the ball and just fizzing it out to his men, didn't he? Like this, they both had mm. this lovely long pass early and he, he had a lot of tricks in his game. And we, I suspect we'll talk about a try he was involved in, in the second half, Scotty Hill. But uh, <laughs> I think you had to mention him too because, um, you know, he's just a... He's a bit of a forgotten footballer who was a wonderful player and every bit deserved to play for New South Wales and Australia as he did and gun, gun. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I want to... Um... The, the, the halftime, at, at halftime, it's 26-4. Halftime is hearkened by that old siren that they used to have at Ericsson Stadium, which I think was borrowed from London during the time of the 1942, like during the time of the, the, the Blitz, um, the air raid siren. Um, it's the incredible, you know. Um, it, was, it was quite terrifying to hear it again because it just made, gave me a lot of memories of watching the Knights play against the Warriors getting, and get, getting beaten with a much better side during the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but just to give you an idea of what that first half was like and how uninteresting it was, at one point in my notes, it just says, allegation of eye gouging. Thank Christ. Something interesting, yeah. Yeah, something's it, it happened. Have, we never got to hear who that was, but seven Broncos complained about an eye gouger and there's no word who it was. And, you know, I'm not yeah, going to point the finger at Tyron Smith, but... <laughs> Well, Tyron Smith, there was a wonderful passage of this game. Yeah. There's a wonderful passage of about five minutes where Tyron Smith gives away a penalty that leads to a try, is asleep mm. at marker leading to another try, and then coat hangers someone. I think Lockyer just yeah. completely or Walters them and just coat hangers, all in about five minutes. Off the ball. Yeah. Off the ball, yeah. yeah. Um, That's why Brent, I thought I thought just if I'm gonna guess, I, yeah. Brent Todd uh, shows his enduring respect for the uh, concept of innocent till proven guilty when he says um, it's too early to accuse anyone with regards to the eye gouging. Um, yeah, he also later in the game says, I think possibly in relation to the, the Tyron Smith head high, says, oh, there was no malice in it, which is always yeah. good. Um, coat hanger off the ball. <laughs> yeah. I also wrote, errors 9-4, this game was a waste of everyone's time, is the other thing I wrote. <laughs> it. That was my halftime note. <laughs> um, good, that. The second half, uh, there is... Bob Cutmore, the one of the Broncos coaching staff, is interviewed at halftime by the commentators uh, and helpfully says the Mariners need to be the next to score, uh, <laughs> which I've never heard uh, a, a club official say that during a game, but it was 26-4, so I stood back him in. Um, Michael Hagan, uh, who was on the Mariners staff, also interviewed at halftime um, to talk about what the coach said. The Mariners weirdly have a sustained bit of pressure they have a couple of tries disallowed. They eventually score through Dane Carlaw. Uh, Dane Carlaw, John Carlaw, uh, out of the wing. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. 
who overpowers Darren Lockyer, you know, wonderful mark of the, the beautiful democracy of rugby league, you know. Mm. Um, nice pace down the sidelines. Really nice run off the long pass. Mm, bang it's good. It's really nice. Good old yeah. fashioned kind of winger play, isn't it? Uh, they could have been on a bit more. They, as you said, they had a few disallowed. They they make it. They really do actually come for them a bit here and could have made a game in this. Yeah. They have a real crack. They get it to twenty six twelve, and this is probably the moment of the game. It's well, they get it to twenty six twelve, but they get it to twenty six twelve by missing every goal. So they could have made it like going up by sixes. They could have made it twenty six eighteen, and they had two tries disallowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, over the, like over the try line. So I, yeah, just the point was they really did make quite a run at Brisbane, who went to sleep pretty early. Yeah, yeah, they have a real mm, crack at them. Yeah. Um, this try is a cracker. It goes through a squeeze, sets a hand, mm. play the ball under the post. It goes right, and then Scott Hill, for sort of no reason, flick passes it out the back. Back to, on the inside. Back yeah. on the inside. There's a fumble. It goes through a couple more sets of hands. Then goes to Richard Swain. Now, mm. I always remember, remembered Richard Swain because he was always top of the big league. Uh, top tackles list, mm. but Work, you, working class, working, working hard tackle bot hooker. Yeah, what he does yeah. here is yeah, what he does here is extraordinary. He once made mm. a thousand tackles in a season, by the way, Richard Swain. I just want that noted. Mm. It's pretty good. Mm. Um, he he picks the ball up, stands up to his full height, and gridiron passes it backwards to Nick Zisti, who goes over in the corner. And I put it to you, my learned colleague, that this was what Bill Harrigan was talking about 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 ten years later when he suggested that they should have that they should change the rules of rugby league to allow two gridiron style forward passes in each half. Idiot! Don't bring that up again. I don't talk about Bill Remember Harrigan's this gridiron thing. Yeah, this, this, he this was is... he. Richard Swain would have been a million dollar a year player under Bill well, Harrigan's this... system. It's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. He, to give people genuinely an idea of this, he, he gets the ball fairly close to the upright, to the yeah. right of it, but near the upright, and gridiron passes to his winger, who scores on the wing in the corner. Like, he gets it, looks up, one sees hand. the space. Bang. One hand, pro- proper gridiron, like full-blown gridiron pass, just sideways, not back, not forwards. And, just, like, he sees the space and just goes, fizzes it one-handed, but beautiful spiral gridiron pass. Straight to his winger, who goes over untouched. The commentators helpfully saying Sailor was embarrassed and done in by his winger. I think he was entitled to just a fair income. I think he was entitled to not predict that Richard Swain was going to gridiron pass it. And I don't think they practiced that in any formation when working on their defensive pattern for this game, which mm. was the up and in. They were coming very up and in, and I think they weren't predicting. They were always vulnerable but didn't predict the Richard Swain gridiron. <laughs> Swain was almost daring in a way. By the up and in, he was saying, I dare you to go over us with the gridiron pass. That's, it, it just, yeah. Um, now, I think this is an important moment because I have a, a theory for you that I would like to put you, and I have no evidence on this. And if anyone oh, out there can help us get to the bottom of it. Those are the best theories. Now, I mean, if, if QAnon has taught us nothing else, yeah. it's that, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I'm an absolute tin hatter and tinfoil tin hatter and all this stuff. Now, the Super League footballs, if anyone has one, I want you to lend it to the cemetery. Okay. I am of the view that as part of the jingoey, flashy new product, my personal view, I don't think these balls are regulation. I think they float better. I think they float further and I think you pass them further. I watch this game and people wow. are throwing the ball too well. Now, Richard Whoa. Swain can't do that with a normal football. I was watching some of the stuff Scott Hill was doing and I was saying, oh, yeah, Scott Hill's, you know, um, he might not be remembered like it, but he's a generational player. He played for Australia at 5'8 and lock forward. There's only so many people who do that. Um, but I was watching 
Robbie McCormack pass. Yeah. He was a good pro hooker, but he starts throwing the ball like it's Cameron Smith. He's throwing it 30 metres across the field from dummy half. And then I started watching again and like Nick Zisti comes in field and throws 20 metre pass that would make Mitchell Moses look pretty good. And then you look again and then it's like Gordon Tallis chucks the ball 20 metres flat with his floating spiral. And all these passes start to look like video game passes. Like all these guys are throwing the ball, in my opinion, five metres further than they ordinarily could. I, I... uh, look, I don't have any proof of this, but I would ask you. I know you don't want to watch this game again. No, well, I can won't. I ask you, can I ask yeah. you to click to a random point of the game or to pick another Super League game yeah. and watch a minute for me? I just want you to watch a couple of sets and mm. watch the ball floating. And this pass is an example. It just Some of it looks too good. And I think Kamali throws some passes as well where I start to go, oh, that's special. I know he's a good player, but that's special. But then I, I say that 10 times. I'm saying it's just... All of them, including the players. Now, Kamali's not my best example because he obviously was a good player, but a lot of guys not playing in the spine are doing it. And no, nah, I, I am of the view. I believe these balls were made to float better than the other. I just don't think they're regulation. They're not the same. There's something different about them. Well, what a fascinating... That, that's an extraordinary allegation. I, I hadn't noticed this, I must say. Um, but I'm very interested. It's too in it. good. Like everything else about it's not good. Like we watch some of the yeah. games and they're, quite, and they're like, why is the ball going? Like, why are they fizzing these passes? And I just reckon that Super League is in some way has tinkered with that ball. And it's not hard to do. I mean, if you go look at the, this was a scandal, right? In the gridiron, like um, there was a, a suspension because Tom Brady and the Patriots deflated the balls to make them mm. easier to throw. Like that's, it's yeah, not, yeah. I'm not total tin hat here. Like you can change the ball pressure and the, sort of various dimensions of different parts of the ball to make them easier or harder to throw and catch. Like that's basic science or Brady and those guys wouldn't have been suspended. And whatever they've done here, that ball is not the same as the Steeton. Wow. This has changed everything for me. And we Mm. need to get to the bottom of this. We're going to have to put the word out. Does anyone know anything about the, uh, what I'm now describing as the Super League football cover-up? Well, someone was trying to sell one. I wanted to buy one so we could check this out, but I tried to sell it for 200 bucks. Oh, I, was sort of thinking like, I was thinking 30. Yeah, the trouble <laughs> with buying one is that yeah. the trouble with buying one is that it needs to, like, it's going to be difficult to assess the pressure 23 years later. Yeah, but we're going to get one. We're going to blow it up and get see how naughty passes it now and get him to pass the Steeton. Oh, what a wonderful idea. We've got a controlled yeah. experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon Noddy would be available for a small fee too. We could get him. Yeah, absolutely. Or we could at least get Craig Kamali. Yeah, just yep, put him. Trains yeah, yeah. at Warner's Bay. We there you in. go. Mm. Yeah. Um, then after this, <laughs> Carlo has another try denied without a video, without recourse to the video. Um, this is Tim Manders' Bill Harrigan moment here where he doesn't mm. go to the video referee because he thinks uh, he's too good for just, it. Uh, just uh, I have to hold you up there. It's not Tim Mander refereeing. Do you know who's refereeing? No, I think it is Tim Mander referee, isn't it? It's Graham Annesley. Oh, that's who it is. That's right. Mm. Oh, well, I get, oh, sorry, I got my pinhead referees who subsequently became Liberal State Cabinet Ministers confused. <laughs> um, Understandable. Yeah. But not excusable. Yeah. Sorry, it is Graham Annesley. That's right. Mm. Uh, who has his Tim Mander moment, who subsequently, which was, which, <laughs> yeah. which was Tim Mander's <laughs> Bill Harrigan moment. Um, yeah, he, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't go to the video. Referee. Unfortunately, I can follow that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, if you listen to all our episodes, you'll understand what that means. If you, but you'll yeah. also probably be in jail. Um, in any event, 
He doesn't. Mm. Uh, he doesn't go to the video. Carlor is denied. I can't see it. I don't know how he saw it. Um, mm. But you know, that's that's why he subsequently became the member for Miranda in the New South Wales Parliament. But um, he doesn't give them that try, and so it that could have been their moment to get to say twenty six sixteen and miss another goal and only be three unconverted tries away from winning the game. Um, it's worth noting they kicked at 58% for the season, the Mariners. That came up yeah. as a statistic. Yeah, yeah. so that's good. That's, um, they had to use 28 players and none of them could kick goals. <laughs> commentators really, really, really labour that point as well, really complain about yeah. the goal kicking, and it is fairly warranted. Um, and I then, mean, it is, but you also can just, like, if you want to win games, whilst goal kicking is important, not getting behind by 26 nil is also important, which sort of cannot be put down to goal kicking at all. That's a bit um, of a leg up, isn't it? Yeah. You give yourself a start if you don't get 26 points behind, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's fair. Um, and then, hilariously, the Broncos then score twice in the last five minutes. Um, mm. There's a spread from their own 40 where Renoff breaks to, to the opposition 40, gives it to Saylor, who goes through quite a few tackles, kind of swerving and running sideways, hurls Tyrant Smith off like he's not there. Ben Walker kicks the goal. And then in the 78th minute, Steve Renoff, Renoff, uh, scores uh, quite a good try, actually, a spread. Uh, the ball goes to Langer, goes to three knees Hancock. God, it was good to see him again. He turns up in so many games, Michael Hancock, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Interestingly, playing off the bench for Brisbane and Queensland this year, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good stat about Michael Hancock. Uh, mm. He scored both the first and the last try in the 1997 Super League competition. Good, good. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the person who scored the first try in the New South Wales Rugby League is, but uh, Michael Hancock got both bookends. Um, and that's about the game. The only thing I would mention is that there is a message over the PA uh, mm, with, about th- with about three or four minutes left, and it's, it's, the ground's empty enough that you can hear the PA. Uh, it's a message to a man with a number plate, H-A-C-K-R. Hacker? Mm. Was this the early days of? Uh, was this the early days of like this is pre WikiLeaks obviously, but this is yeah, in the early days. I was thinking, yeah. This is in the early days of internet of computer hacking. Um, yeah. And the message is, your keys are with the man who parked next to you. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> Which really? <laughs> Which side? Yeah. Well, that's a really good question, um, and it yeah. does kind of imply the arrangement that you need to go back to your car and the bloke who was parked next to you will wait. Um, I hope he didn't yeah. abuse that privilege. I hope he didn't sort of stay in the ground on the, on the tins for a bit and then sort of stagger out half an hour later. Um, yeah, can't miss the end of the game. <laughs> can't miss the end. Well, exactly. Um, but that, that was it. And the, the Broncos get the, um, they win the million dollars much needed to fill their uh, drying coffers, 36 points to 12. Uh, my full-time notes, muted celebrations. That was terrible. I think that's all about reasonable, yeah. The commentary doesn't whip it up. The Broncos aren't that impressed. They're like, we won the comp a couple of weeks ago. Why are we still playing? Let's get on the cans. And that's about it, yeah. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Mariners were relatively happy to be there, a bit disappointed not to win, but not sort of crushed. They sort of knew they weren't going to exist really and that they weren't, you know what I mean? Like it. Well, I'll you draw know. your attention to, uh, there's a wonderful fatalism about the Mariners. Graham Murray says mm. about how they can compete with the Knights. He shrugs his shoulders and says... This was at the time. They had 100,000 people at a ticker tape parade. You can't argue with that, <laughs> which is quite good. Yeah. And Robbie McCormack, uh, who 
was asked by a journalist uh, about uh, you know the talk of the Marin of the Mariners being kicked out and being evaporated mm. by the reformation of the league. They can't kill us off while we're still playing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I suppose is true. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. they should have tried to go to extra time. Um, but yeah, it, it that's right. Not to labour the point, but Jesus, like again, Graham Murray. This is another thing we spoke about his record and what a great coach he was. Or I pontificated about it for a long time. Another yeah, great effort yeah, by yeah. him pulling the only. You know, he did better than every other coach who got given a new team. That includes yeah. Shifty Sheens and these guys who went up to the Cowboys. He got into a game like like this, and you know they put their gloves up and. You know, if they had any sense, the Super League, if you're going to get a great coach like Graham Murray and give him a good group of young players, why you did not put them on the Central Coast just 40 minutes away from Newcastle in a place that would have loved to have its own team and created an identity is so far beyond me. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it it's, is. It's stunning. Um, there's a quote about Graham Murray from one of the Mariners, uh, I think from one of the Mariners staff, uh, which I'll read to you. Um, and it would this you know, he's a he's a minor kind of figure in this episode, but mm. just every time you read anything in which he's involved, people just want to talk about what a nice man he was. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. Just listen to this. He was a true gentleman and a true father to all the players, and they would have walked through a brick wall for him to a man and he could get the best out of them. Yeah. yeah it's just, yeah, it's it's just nobody's got a bad thing to say about Graham Murray, it seems. Um, no, he came up in the media again this week because it was women's round and he apparently he was one of the first people to get on board there and start um, when he was done with all the men's stuff. And, you know, he probably got a decent retirement there. He coached at the top level for years and he got involved in women's rugby league very early on at a time when no one else of that sort of profile had. Yeah. Like there was people, in, men in women's rugby league, obviously involved, but nobody, if a guy that had coached grand finals and coached origin and, and had done all this and been such a big figure in the game had ever been involved and like yeah. I remember they were saying that he was just wonderful to them and gave them a lot of legitimacy and it helped really spark that along so as you say he's just someone who's got a long trail of people behind him who just all think he's a great bloke yeah yeah yeah. You know? no, and he's just... a coach he, he can be a great bloke but he was very good at what he did as well yeah, and yeah. sometimes people think that's if you you know not to upset people from Brisbane but you know there's probably people out there who look at a Wayne Bennett or something and think that that's the sort of person you've got to beat it too well and you don't you know no that's <laughs> right. people out there who managed to be pretty decent people and do what they, they did well as well yeah that's it um no he he had a um he had a very good just an incredible reputation it's very rare mm. that someone in a competitive yeah. sport like that would be kind of so universally talked about as a as a nice bloke yeah. um the Mariners of course uh, this was their last game they ever played. Um, mm. They attempted to merge with the Chargers shortly after this, and this really squares the circle on both of our last two episodes. They tried to merge with the Chargers. As I understand it, they offered them all of their players in exchange for a few places on the board. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chargers, perhaps having looked at the crowd figures at Birmingham Gardens dog track over the season, decided to go it alone. Um, mm. I think history would suggest that decision didn't suit either of those clubs overly well. You'd like to think that the charges, you know, could have made Brett Kamali and Wes Patton work, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Found a, found a place for Scott Hill, Brett Kamali, um, you know, Robbie Ross. These sorts of guys might have found a spot on the roster somewhere, you know. Yeah, Willie I Mason reckon. was in the junior system there. There was probably some Richard Swain. There's probably some players that would have made that team we talked about on last week's episode that played beat the Steelers. I reckon. I just reckon <laughs> the there might have been a few yeah. who got a game, yeah. I think yeah. that's probably right. Um, but they, 
you know, and so this, all these guys who played in this team, Paul Marquette, uh, Robbie Ross, Scott Hill, Brett Kamali, Richard Swain, they, they, they all went, you know, that's, that's five of them. Is there anyone I'm missing? They all went to, they all went to Melbourne and won the comp in, in 1999 in a game we've already covered and we're part of a side that is very well remembered and was a wonderful team and, you know, um, yeah. Ross played and Kamali. Played for Australia. Yeah, all played for Australia. All had all were in a wonderful team and played a lot of rep football and uh, and were very good players. So I suppose that is the and a few people. It's funny on the on our page when we said, "What do you remember about the Mariners?" Quite a few people said they, in a funny way, kind of ended up being the basis of Melbourne, the Melbourne Storm winning the comp in '99. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. It's um yeah no look that's exactly right I I suppose it, it's a good in with you talking about Kamali and Ross I suppose in particular because they're Newcastle people that uh, if you'll indulge me I, I just wanted to finish quickly with I suppose almost a follow up to a previous end piece we've done or a um or a, a way to add to what we've looked at before and um one of the questions you and I looked at was we spoke about Brisbane in 98 and the Knights and who, you know, who would have won the great super game and, you know, all this mm. stuff. And, and I think I came to the position, you ardently maintain that Andrew Johns wouldn't lose any game that mattered ever. And I respect that very deeply. Um, I sort of came to the position that in 1998, Newcastle's team realistically, but played Brisbane 10 times, isn't going to win the majority of them, that they just weren't strong enough. And, and what I said to you was it's that defeatism. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. But what, what I said to you was that in a lot of ways, the reason I don't look at that is a a lot of people go, well, Super League was better or Brisbane was better. And what I, I'm a little, I was a little bit dismissive of that where I just say, well, yeah, they were, but they contrived a circumstance to let that happen. It's not a criticism of Brisbane, but circumstances just let this happen. It's a quirk of fate. It's not something that meant they were better. They just, in 1996 or 95, the Super League comes in, in Brisbane, the whole of the Super League, you know, Brisbane became Super League town. They basically started Super League. All their players go to Super League. You know what I mean? Like they created this team, whereas Sydney and New South mm. Wales, these teams all got picked apart and, and moved apart. And when we come back together, Brisbane keep everyone. So what, what this circumstances create is that Brisbane were a super team by the making of Super League. Um, yeah. And I suppose the Mariners in a funny way and some of the other clubs as well and Newcastle are a good way to give you an example of that. And so what I want to do is just talk to you and say, have a look at the players at 1996 that Brisbane and Newcastle have and who's left when they play each other again in 98 in the super game. And that that's very important because not only are they both the premiers, they're basically equal minor premiers at the end of the year. So the best two teams over the full season in 98 um, and they were the two premiers. And I've, I've spoken, I said Newcastle did pretty well out of Super League, and I do maintain that. But even for all in allowing it that, have a look at what Brisbane do compared to Newcastle. So yeah. in 1996, um, basically Brisbane, you know, have got who they've got from 1995. We, we all know who Brisbane have in 98, 99, 97. When Super League starts, they add Mundine and Talis. They don't lose any representative player from that squad. They, they've got Lockyer, they've got Langer, they've got Walters, they've got Webke coming through, they've got Lazo, you know, uh, Brad Thorne. We all know who they've got. Um, they add in uh, Talis and Mundine go in. So Super League comes in and while all these teams are getting split up and, and driven apart, they add two players. When we get to 98, what do they lose? At uh, the end of the Super League, well, they do lose Mundine yep. uh, and they do lose Lazarus. So from 1996, when they've got their own team, or 95, 96, start of the war, they basically walk into 98 having lost Lazo and Mundine, who they got in the middle, but gaining Talis. 
So it's basically a Lazarus Fatala swap. Yep, That's the strength of their team. Okay, so Newcastle. In 1995, if, we, if I go through with you who they lost between 95 to 98. So in 95 or 96, these players left the Newcastle Knights to Super League clubs, or in one case, an ARL club. Paul Marquette, Mark Sargent, Australian Kangaroo, Brad Godden, Australian representative, Robbie McCormack, New South Wales rep, Brett Kamali, future Australian halfback, Robbie Ross, future Australian fullback, Jamie Ainsco, origin player and Rodney Howe, future test player. In 1997, they can't keep at the end of that year when uh, Lazo basically goes from Brisbane, the Knights can't keep Adam Muir. So that's nine players. Let me run into them again. Marquette, Sargent, Godden, McCormack, Kamali, Ross, Angeco, Howe, Muir. And if you want to play really pedantic and be Knight's favourite, because, you know, let's face it, I do that sometimes. Willie Mason gets picked for the junior Mariners who shouldn't exist and he would play for the junior Knights. Mm. <laughs> but, but that is nine players who, apart from Paul Marquette, all played state of origin football or Australia. Mm. Nine out of 10. And Paul Marquette was a good first grader. Nine. And so you go into 90, you know, in 97, the Knights are playing Leo Dinneber when Andrew Johns is out. <laughs> we should add Brett Kamali. Like in 1998, we're playing this game without Robbie O'Davis. We play them with Robbie O'Davis out. Robbie Ross should have been playing fullback. You know, like you look through that side, we have players in the forwards um, playing through there. We have Troy Fletcher's, you have your Scott Conley guys coming through. We should have had Rodney Howe, should have had Adam Muir. Mm. These are the guys that should have been playing. Sergeant probably would have retired, um, and that that's fine. But again, Marquette, Sergeant, Godden, McCormack, Kamali, Ross, Angeco, Howe, Muir, and we're coming equal first. That's nine players. And this, I, I'm using this as a case study. I'm not using this to make this big point that the Knights were dudded. They weren't. They did actually quite well out of Super League because they got to sign their best young players like the Johns on a lot of money, not paid for by the club. But yeah. ultimately... What that shows, New South Wales was a state that was divided. We had teams in both competitions, teams people cared about in both competitions, not like Brisbane were the only team that mattered up there. And players went separate ways. They, the Super League shoved a team into Newcastle and had the money to pick off quite a few of the good Knights players. Then they have all these new teams that need to fill players. So you have Knights guys coming through on the periphery like Rodney Howes, who are going to be really good players, but just haven't got past your Butterfields and Harrigans who are at the end yet they get picked off and go there. Um, the Bears lost, I think, four players, you know, so they go from a team making prelims and just get four players picked off that they don't have any more that are spread around. So when you go, the Bears lose two or three to four, the Knights lose nine good first graders, that club loses a few first graders, you know, Parramatta gained a few. They were probably the, the exception, but largely Manly definitely lost a lot by 98, got picked off three, four sort of guys when yep. it comes together. All these teams in a state that was not all ARL and not all Super League and was having everyone pick came back with their depth picked out and at the least lost three or four good players or in a camp like the Knights, though they kept a lot of good players, they got gutted of good footballers there. That's nine guys who either had or would play at that level. And then you've got to play against the Broncos who just didn't lose anything. Yeah. And I, I want to be very careful. I'm not bagging Brisbane. They won. Every comp has weird stuff about it. Every timeline has weird stuff about it. And that's fine. But when we talk about questions like who was better, oh, well, the Super League had Brisbane. Super League made Brisbane. They were very good at the start. And we were at an era where the salary cap was coming in. It was supposed to even it out. And Brisbane didn't like it. Canberra didn't like it. The Super League had a different idea. They brought in a comp that let Brisbane keep their team together and not lose those players. And by that circumstance, they play against a lot of clubs 
clubs who didn't get to do what they did. Yeah, and, and they also, by doing that, they they also, by creating that team, they just created a ludicrous, I mean, they, they created a team that won Super League in a canter, won the World Club Challenge in a canter, and then more or less won the NRL in a canter the next year. I don't yeah. know that it was particularly good for the comp either to have created this. They wanted this kind of hyper-capitalist idea of a team that was, you know, unfettered by salary caps and all this kind of thing. But I think they, they got what they had coming a little bit because they ended up with a really one-sided, flaccid competition. Yeah, well, that, that's right. They reaped what they sowed a lot in 97 in the Super League didn't get these. They, they, they couldn't have a 97 grand final game like the ARL got. That was never really a possibility because Brisbane were too good. So if you wanted to build this momentum and make it matter, you needed to have special memorable contests and Brisbane were too good for that. Um, mm. but, and, and, and I do need to be careful because, I, I mean, it's fairly common knowledge I don't like Brisbane, but I, it's not, I'm not trying to, if you go for them, good on you. You won this competition. That's great. There's lots of reason teams win and I'm not degrading the fact they won the competition. You're entitled to enjoy that as a fan and good on them. But it's, I don't buy into this thing that it makes other teams, you know, oh, well, the Super League was better because it had Brisbane and, you know, or well, the ARL wasn't this. Gone, no, no, no. Newcastle had a great year in 97. They won that comp. It's legitimate. And the fact that they couldn't beat this behemoth that got to keep all the players Newcastle developed but couldn't keep doesn't make me feel any less good about it. That's all. And a lot of teams felt that had the same situation. It's just that, well, you look at that 98 game, Newcastle have three or four guys out and they just couldn't quite go with Brisbane. And you, I go to you, I put to you that if, you know, they had fought this competition and managed to also ha- add Brett Kamali, Robbie Ross, Angeco, Howe, Godden, Sergeant McCormack, Muir to that team. They might have had a much better chance of that being a much closer game, you know? And I'm actually, for one, I think it's one of the great, um, as a Knights fan, one of the things I'm proudest of is the amount of times they stuck it to Brisbane in that era, despite some of these inequalities and in, in, in equal things. Brisbane were a better side. And one of the things I'm most proud of as a Knights fan is how many times we stuck it at them because that they, they were unbelievable. And, well, and doesn't that show you a picture that that little look at that nine mm, loss, yeah, not lost players, players to nothing. Yeah, and and that's, the Knights, you, you use the Knights as an example. I mean, there are plenty of others that every club, yeah. you're right. Every ARL club went through some version of that. Um, it's just easier for me to do that because I can do it off the top of my head without digging. And I know all those players well in their, in their records, yeah. but it is, it's, it's Parramatta your exception. They got really stuck up because they got the Canterbury dirty four, but you're right. It's the bears. It's a lot of these clubs face this thing where everyone just lost a bit and Brisbane didn't that's lose it. anything. No, you're wrong. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's just an example of how, how it distorted the comp again. And we've done that a couple of times. Um, it, it made the competition it's kind of ludicrous for a while and it took a long time to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Brisbane was at the centre of that, not, not by their fault. It was what they were designed to be and why they, why they got Super League going in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. Gazzy, we've covered a beautiful amount of ground uh, in, in serenading this bizarre game. Uh, is there anything you want to, anything you want to add? No, no, I don't think there's anything else to add. I'd just say, look, I'm, I'm not, I, I was very much as a Knights fan and, and uh, an ardent Mariner, Mariner's hater as a young man. I wish to know will, will, will now. I think, you know, no one that was involved did anything wrong by anyone. Um, it's probably time for that to die down a little and for them us to let them rest in peace a little bit. And, but it's very, very fun to look back on all, all the same. I know. I, yeah, I think... I, I got a bit of a touch up in the in the private messages through the week from a, a regular listener, a friend of the show, Peter, who said I need to stop um, trying to trying to like trim the episodes down and keep the 
you know, keep the content mm. down so that we can fit them into a reasonable time. Uh, I, yeah. I hope, I hope Peter listens to this one and feels that, uh, that I've fulfilled that wish because this is a long one. Uh, we've never talked less about a game and yet I don't think we've ever done a longer episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I hope, I hope listeners have, I hope listeners have, have born with us and enjoyed it. Uh, until next time on the Rugby League Cemetery, it's Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off. <laughs>